Welcome to the First Five Podcast. I am your host, Michael Corey, and I'm joined by my co-host, Drew Gotro. And today our guest in the podcast studio is a wonderful comedian. I definitely appreciate his uh, intelligent and dark take on a lot of things. I think we have a lot in common. I'm looking forward to speaking about it today. Please welcome to the podcast, Shelby Schoen. Hi. What's up, guys? <laughs> One of the things that Shelby and I have in common is we have names that people tend to fuck up a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, even on on flyers and stuff, I've seen people. Uh, so has this just been the bait? Because it's also you're an S, so you're kind of toward the end of the alphabet like me. Can you do you have like remember being in like elementary school and being like, fuck. <laughs> oh, well, like when people were saying my name? or like... Well, when they're saying your name, when you're always like last, like when they go through things alphabetically and you're always like the last person on the list. Oh, no, it's perfect. I tune the fuck out. Uh, I stopped <laughs> listening because I'm just like, ah, I'll be there eventually. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, like I've heard I've gotten Shelby Stone so many times uh it's a good it'd be a good porn name it really would uh but it'd be ill-fitting because i lose my erections all the time uh, <laughs> <laughs> it could be ironical you know like when a big guy is they call him tiny yeah there we go yeah mm-hmm. they're really like, hey here comes shelby stone with his jello heart on I saw I saw you on I can't I know it was a show at three three seven I don't know if it was the most recent show that you've done I don't know if it was um, you were opening for somebody or if you were on a, a stone drunk sober uh, but I watched you start off with some material that was you know maybe a little bit like the whole I think the whole set was like this uh, and it I think it took the audience a little bit of time. Uh, to warm up to the the tone uh, that you were creating in that particular moment. And I remember, I think I was just around and overheard you talking about your set after the show was over. And it was kind of like, uh, well, fuck them. You know, like if they don't, if they're not going to come and meet me where I'm at, then I'm not going to like change what I'm going to do. It might've been, um, it might've been Keenan. Cause I know that there was like a whole thing of like wanting the Keenan thing. Uh, a little bit. I mean, on the Keenan thing, I feel like, you know, because it was like three minutes. So I was pretty comfortable with how that whole thing went. It may have been uh, the Stone Drunk Sober that happened a while before that. And there's something, it's something that, uh, it's something I have initially took it as a compliment. But after time, I was like, was that maybe a small insult? And probably not. But it was uh, uh, Terrence. He, after we were doing a Stone Drunk Sober, I think. And uh, we were, when we were still doing the beer garden and he was pretty drunk and he came up to me. He's like, Shelby, you know what I love about you so much is that like, you're going to do what you're going to do no matter what. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, uh, like I, I, that, you know, it is to my detriment at times because like I don't change up the game plan. If I see a room is full of like old people or like mm-hmm. they're full of people that I know aren't going to like what I'm about to say, because it's just like I'm going to do what I'm about to do. And if you like it, you like it. And if you don't, you don't. And I hope you like it. But I'm yeah. not that concerned because yeah. I'm telling jokes and you do it right away. Yeah, that's what I always I like. I find funny, like a lot of people will try to like start, like I'll start with a little bit more palatable stuff. And then once they're on my side, then I'll go, then I'll show them who I really am, but I'll win them over first. And you're like, nope, right out the gate. This is what you're going to get. Yeah. This is what it's going to be like for 10 minutes or 15 or however long. That's what I've always kind of prided myself on as just like a human is like I feel like people who know me and like when people like me, it's because they know what they're getting. Like I'm 
I'm not a bullshit person. I don't like lying to people. I don't like mm-hmm. falsely presenting. I'm just who I am. And if you like it, great. And if you don't, that's not really going to affect me. Yeah, much. some people want to be lied to. Yeah, it's a crazy a thing. Yeah, yeah, they do. Uh, I, I found that uh, I understand that. Like, okay, because so many things come to mind right off the bat. I, I think about um, that hot ones thing where they do the wings, it's like a podcast, mm-hmm. and they have people do the wings, and they step it up. They they get gradually more, um, you know, intense with the heat. Mm-hmm. Or, I don't know, like a butt plug or something. You know, it's planned. <laughs> like, just whatever it is. Or even, like, when you're trying to seduce somebody. and With you, a butt plug. With, yeah. <laughs> it's just the idea of, like, bracing them. And, like, here's where I want to end up. And I know if I come at you straight with this, you're not going to go for it. So, let me take this sort of long way around. Uh, and there is something very inauthentic about it. And, and it also kind of seems... Like it's the whole age old artist versus entertainer thing Mm -hmm. where if your only goal is to entertain them and you want them to really like the darkest, most intense stuff that you have, you ramp up to it. Mm -hmm. But if you're an artist and you're like, come to me, this is me, this is what I'm doing. They just they have to like it or or they have to take it or leave it Mm -hmm. really. And they have to have open minds. Um, I don't really give the audiences very much credit personally. Like, I just kind of assume that they want to be entertained, you know, that we're not at an art gallery. Uh, and but then I feel like I miss out on things that you're probably enjoying by getting up there and just being like, no, you come to me. What do yeah. You I mean, when it comes to that kind of stuff, I love it just because like I <laughs> the number of times I've told the joke and watched the audience visibly get uncomfortable. <laughs> just like I can see there's something about it. I, it's pretty fun. Yeah, I love it. It's just honestly really funny to me. Uh, like watching them pull back from me when I'm talking about something is just so funny. It just really is. Sometimes it can be funny what the thing is too. Yeah, exactly. You know, wait, that after I just said this, all this other stuff was fine. Yeah. But this is the thing. Like I remember uh, we were doing uh Jacob Gidry show and Lake Charles, uh, the crying Eagle. And, you know, I went up there and I did, you know, exorcist shit and, you know, priest fucking little boys, blah, 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 you know, all that jazz. And then I started talking about how the Bible is just poorly written and they were, Oh man, they were not about that. Yeah. They were just yeah. not. Mess with our book. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Afterwards, I forget who it was. There was a, the headliner on the, on that night, Spent about five, six minutes just going after me, uh, just riffing off that. And, you know, the crowd loved it. They were loving it. Right. He was just talking about how I was going to hell and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, it was yeah. great. It was a good time. Uh-huh. Uh, but just like those moments, sometimes, and me and Tyler talked about this on the ride back from uh, that show, was just like, I, uh, I could tell about halfway through that joke and like i have a few outs on that joke like i have a few points where i could just cut it and just be like all right we're gonna move on to the next thing uh and i didn't i just kind of was like nah you get the next punchline too you're gonna have that <laughs> he was like i don't know why you didn't i was like straight up i could not tell you why i didn't either i was in it and i was just like fuck it why yeah not? Let's you go were amused it. probably a little bit. Yeah. You're having too much fun. <laughs> that and yeah. also sometimes I just get into my, like, you know, you get in that familiar rhythm and you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm just do I'm hitting the beats. And then I was like, why is somebody dancing these beats? <laughs> I thought these beats were fun. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think I think um, I heard somebody the other day, and it's probably something some podcast we all listen to, but I can't remember what it was. But they were saying that uh, comedians tend to be people pleasers, uh, and to me, that's definitely the accept like the attitude of like I'm going to give you what I want to give you is is not a people pleasing attitude at all. It's much more of what you described, just of uh, uh, people know what they're going to get with you. They don't have to worry about you giving them some sort of I don't know um, artifice. Yeah, like, I want to please them. I want to make people happy. Like, I love doing all those things. Right. But I'm also just not going to do it for the sake of doing it. Yeah. Uh, that's just not really my vibe. Mm-hmm. There was a funny thing that happened in between, uh, since the last time we got to record a podcast, and it's kind of on what we're talking about. Michael and I did a uh, the Rally Cap show, and uh, I went up first after Jason's host set. And then Michael went up after me. And I think kind of when he really started, he kind of got into his set. This lady got up and left. And I think she went tell the manager or somebody something like this is this is too much like this is too bad or too dirty mm-hmm. or something and left. And Michael got off stage and found out about this. And the woman was still outside. He went outside and talked to this woman. For, I don't know how long did you talk to her for? Mm, Twenty minutes. Or something. Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, went pick this lady's brain, <laughs> like, <laughs> which I thought I admire so much that he did that, <laughs> and I thought it was so hilarious. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know if, if there was anything interesting about that conversation or. Well, one of the things that I, I kind of hoped I, this is just this sort of employee-minded sort of person that I am. I I just thought, wouldn't it be nice if she walked away from this Lafayette comedy experience feeling like somebody extended an olive branch after she spent the almost the entire night sitting outside. Her husband stayed inside and wouldn't respond to any of her you know, <laughs> bids for connection. Over the phone. <laughs> he, it sounds like he's probably used to her. Yes. <laughs> like, like he's like, That's, if I'm going to have a good time, I'm just going to have to let her. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, she was a stick in the mud. So I, I just talked to her and and was just curious, like you know, like where where did we cross the line? That was one thing I wanted to know. Like, what was the 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 straw that broke the camel's back? And I didn't get a clear answer on that because it took me a while to realize she'd walked out during my set. You know what I mean? Like I just thought she at some point. You know, we were all up there doing pretty similar stuff. Um, but so I asked her, you know, so like what kind of comedy are you into? And and she said that she thought that most sitcoms were garbage. And I was like, oh, OK, great. Yeah, we're gonna, yeah. yeah. But then I realized it was because she was coming at it from the opposite uh, viewpoint that we would probably as comics, which is that um, uh, it's not smart enough. Like, well, she she was saying she likes Frasier. Like, that's her ideal of what would be considered funny. And I was like, okay, okay. so it's sophisticated smart humor but also very tame and very mm-hmm. um very tasteful mm-hmm. yeah even this the like the sexual content on that show mm-hmm. um it's like they talk because they're like psychiatrists it's like they talk about it from like a doctor's like the language they use right so like you could watch a dirty episode of Frasier in front of your children and but they don't know what they're talking about yeah, it's mm-hmm. all innuendos no crass language yeah anything. yeah um, I don't, yeah. So, so it, it, when it came down to it, I just, I just was curious. I, and it was a part of me that people pleaser, honestly, though, I really think is what it was. Is like, was I curious about what did it wrong? Yes. But also kind of thought, wouldn't it be nice if somebody smoothed her over? Cause it's one of the first things that she said is like, well, I'm sure y'all are happy. Y'all got my money. 
And I was I was so tempted. I had a twenty in my yes. pocket. I was just gonna reach in and, and just hand it to her. Oh god! No, that's where we're different. I'd be like, yes, I'm very happy. <laughs> yeah, no. When somebody makes passive aggressive comments like that, I'm just like, oh, die. Just, yeah. just drive off a cliff. And I clocked it, but I was like, mm, what would be the point of me having come out here if I just turn around and you know make her feel weird about it so so i just continued to basically the point that she feels shame and she changes who she is as a person <laughs> well i kind of thought that if i did that indirectly by letting her know that like i completely understand where she's coming from and i'm sorry that she didn't have a good experience that we want to entertain her but also i don't apologize for the jokes that i made mm-hmm. and i stand by them maybe she would walk away from that and after that sunk in that maybe she'd realize Maybe I was kind of being a bit of an asshole back there and I could have, you know. I mean, that's a distinct possibility. Uh, you know, you very much could have been the sweet boy. And she was like, oh, you know, maybe I was being a bit of a cunt. But uh, I think she was just being a cunt. And so when yeah. you act like that, especially near me, I'm just like, all right, well, go ahead. Walk away with the feeling that people don't like you. And Yeah, that, she probably it, didn't want to go to the thing at all. Yeah. yeah. And like, that's not mine or anybody else's problem like when somebody shows up to a show you fucking drove here like you can leave whenever you'd like you don't have to stay Mm -hmm. i don't care like that is not my business and jason is very accommodating most of the time too but he'll he'll tell you like the all the information is on the when you buy the tickets it's like this is explicit content this is adult Mm -hmm. content yeah you know you 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 were warned and like when we used to do shows at the beer garden (laughs) There were times when like children would be in the crowd still when I was about to go up and I'm not changing a goddamn thing I'm about to do if there are kids in the crowd. Because one, like when I was a kid, I was watching like I was watching a lot of comedy. I was watching a lot of darker and dirtier material. And, you know, like Chappelle's Killing Him Softly was, you know, Mm -hmm. I I watched that. I was nine when that came out. And like. I, I watched, watched it, it last night. Yeah, I watched it all the time. I thought it was hilarious. Mm-hmm. Like, that kind of stuff killed me. I thought it was just so funny. And, like, so that's always been kind of my sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And so whenever it's a situation, especially because, like, a friend of mine, uh, we talk about these kind of things all the time. When people are just, like, expecting the world to bend to them, I want to so incredibly instill upon them, it will not. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, No. You can bend to the world and accept it for what it is because the world is the wind and you are just the leaf. Just Mm -hmm. it will take you where it's gonna and you can accept that or you can fight against it. But if you fight against it, you're going to realize you have nowhere to go. You have nothing that you can do with this because you have no control. You have no nothing Mm -hmm. other than like I can control about not being in the situation right now. But like other than that, you got you got jack shit. So like, yeah, you know, do you think that that perspective because I, I wanted to ask you about coming from an evangelical background and, and clearly you've, you know, um, you, there's been an evolution there of, of <laughs> your, your viewpoint on the world. Uh, do you think, cause that just, when I, when I hear you talk like that, it just reminds me very much of my deconstruction, uh, which, and I didn't know that people called it that when it was happening. I felt like I, I was going through it on my own. People called it either. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean like, so like growing up, uh, you know, my family was not, <laughs> We weren't religious at first, and then my dad tried to get sober, and so obviously, you know, oh, God, got to get Jesus in here, sure. uh, see if he can fix a thing or two. And we went to church for a while, and it was fine, you know, it is what it is. And we went to the, 
I guess they would call it consider themselves non-denominational, but that was some Pentecostal. <laughs> there were mm-hmm. there were ankle length jean skirts as far as the eye could see, uh, <laughs> and, and just <laughs> hair in the thickest buns you've ever seen. Because when they let it down, it's down to their fucking ass crack. Yeah, that's right. Uh, like, and then so whenever we moved, uh, we moved to Louisiana when I was like thirteen, and. Uh, like, you know, I've told this joke on stage. You know, I met a girl at school. She invited me to the youth group. She was cute. So I said yes. And then I just started hanging out there. And I kind of got into, like, the whole religion thing. And it just made me feel a lot of guilt. Mm-hmm. Like, every time I was like, I was jacking off. I was just like, mm-hmm. God doesn't like this. And yeah. it's like, well, why does it feel so good? Why did he put all those? <laughs> yeah, I remember being scared to jack off if it would be like, Christmas Eve or something like that. <laughs> and I'd be like, come on, man, don't do it today. <laughs> oh, man, you can't put the happy button down there and expect you not to press it. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of nerve endings down there. Exactly. Dude, I remember there, the evangelical thing was, I mean, we, we got pulled into the Jimmy Swagger thing when I was only like three or four years old. Jimmy Swagger. I don't know this. What's Jimmy Swagger? Jimmy Swagger was that big global televangelist is based out of Baton oh, okay. Rouge. He sold all that property that people used to make like Mall. with the hookers too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Mall of Louisiana. That's all his property that he sold to them after his empire kind of fell. Okay. So we left there before he had his, like he had a huge national scandal that brought him down. But before that happened, my, my mom was kind of like, I don't really, I've asked her about this many times, even after having written a bunch of material about it. And I still, can't get a clear answer on her from why, but she did decide to leave before he kind of fell from grace. But then every church that we went to after that was derivative in some way mm-hmm. of his brand of, of, of Christianity. And it was lame, man. And I remember being like um, going through puberty. Dude, I would jerk off anywhere. Mm-hmm. I remember I jerked off on a road trip from Houston to Baton Rouge, like in the backseat of the car while my mom was driving like overnight. Yeah. I would do it in the ma- in the bathroom wow. at the church. I would just, I was so fucking horny. And I remember being in high school and it, the weird way that, that Christianity kind of soaks into your brain in, in, in a very specific way that's like unique to you where like you develop your own sense of right and wrong I remember that I had a girlfriend and, and, and she, we wouldn't curse in front of one another. Right. But mm-hmm. then she, but we were both virgins. We'd never, I don't know. We, we hadn't had intercourse before but we'd done everything else. And she was like, she's so desperate to, to go further. She was like, you can stick it in my ass. Like I, but she, but she wouldn't say ass. I can stick it in her butt. You know what I mean? Like that was the weird thing about it is that it's like we were doing the most explicit stuff as teenagers. You can stick it in my pooper. (laughs) Just don't say ass. (laughs) So, so yeah, it was weird. Um, that the whole evangelical thing was, was a big part of my life for a long time. I'm I'm happy to be. And it seems like you'd be so much more defiled, like in your ass. Cause most women like, uh, whenever people women aren't that crazy about you know keeping their virginity, mm-hmm. you know, not they're not whores, but you know, <laughs> most women most aren't women. whores. <laughs> yeah, like, like regular women. That's I'm trying to think how to say it. like a regular woman is like, um, when you have you get to have you get to be in a relationship and have sex with a woman, your other men have got to do this. 
with this woman. But if a woman lets you put it in her ass, she hasn't let every guy do that. Like it almost to me, it's more special if, a you know, like if you're with the woman and she'd be like, yeah, put it in my ass, you know. So it almost seems like she was going backwards with it, mm-hmm. you know, because this should be the place that you should be less likely to let someone enter than your vagina. A hundred percent. But I don't know. Maybe. I mean, maybe I'm old fashioned. I mean, fingers crossed, in my opinion, I'm hoping it's just as likely. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and to, to, to what you said earlier about jerking off whenever you could. Uh, yeah, for, for sure. Same. Mm-hmm. I remember we were in the hospital parking lot. <laughs> When we went to, we were like visiting my dying grandmother <laughs> and everybody went inside and like, I was just in a sea of cars in our minivan. I was like, fuck it. Why not? Let's fucking, let's get this shit going. I've never done nothing like that. Oh God. I did. Jack, I, jacked off, I jacked off in the woods one time. Yeah, that counts. Yeah, you, they try to traumatize some poor raccoon. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think there's a Boy Scout badge for that. Yeah, it is. It's called yeah. first shooters. <laughs> I think there was a lot of penises out in the Boy Scouts. Mm-hmm. I never did Boy Scouts. Really, anything outside? Like, oh god, I hated going outside as a kid. My parents used to do that shit all the time, where they were like, you know, they try to kick us out of the house, and like, I remember at least once. I legitimately climbed back in through my own window. Like I climbed back <laughs> into this house. Yeah. <laughs> I climbed back into my bedroom. Like there's AC in here. I got my action figures. I'm gonna get my shit going in here and not get bit by mosquitoes. This is dumb, <laughs> dude. I, I heard and again. I listen to too many podcasts. This is where everything comes from. But I heard somebody talking the other day about. Uh, in the eighties, it was not uncommon. And I experienced this This is my long before I went through puberty, I encountered, uh, porno mags, uh, cause like people would have like tree houses and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then there would be like a stash in there. And so when I was in like fourth grade, I I came across this stuff and it was the really explicit stuff. It Mm -hmm. wasn't like just playboy. It was like the really intense stuff. (laughs) The goods. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, I remember being very into it um, and would just stare at it long before there was anything happening. And so by the time I was in like fifth long, you still a couple of years before puberty, I got in trouble one time uh, and had to sit and be like detained or whatever uh, during recess and just sit with my head on the desk for the entire recess when I was in like fifth grade. And uh, I just passed the entire detention by just, thinking about all that stuff I saw. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Dude. So, like, uh, you know, I had an older brother, and we had, uh, you know, we had a porno mag. It was, like, a British one. And so, you know, just the stuff in there. They had, like, those letters to the editor or, like, the little stories, and that was my shit. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm a writer, so the written word really busts (laughs) my nut. (laughs) 100%. Yeah, no, like, reading that stuff, I was just like, man, this is amazing. Eventually, it did get to the point where I was like, I remember a friend of mine was at my house one night, and I was like, I was in the bathroom, 
and you know rub one out and it was the first time i ever came like first time anything ever actually came out right. and i was just like what the fuck just yeah. happened and i just oh, like yeah. plastered the magazine on accident <laughs> <laughs> it was like i think i just like died <laughs> i think i just shot my soul out of my body <laughs> yeah those first ones are fucking intense man. oh yeah those oh, fir- yeah. those first jizzes oh yeah oh yeah that's, that's about and it kind of hurt a little bit yeah it's like 10 years of come just fucking like Ah, bursting yeah. through the door. Hell yeah, dude. It's like a breach. <laughs> this is the podcast you guys signed up for. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. Um, <clears throat> I think that there are a lot of um, former evangelicals in the Lafayette comedy scene and probably more so uh, just like I think Jacob Guidry. I think he's still I think he might be Catholic. Is he? Do you know? Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, so in the Lake Charles scene, I don't know really how much that is going on, but I know in Baton Rouge and Lafayette, it, it's a lot of that. And I've, I've, I remember. Do you remember the first time you heard somebody make like a really good joke about growing up evangelical, but like before you got an opportunity to crack one off, and you were like, "Ooh!" Like, do you ever find? I remember being very motivated, but also kind of feeling like, "What a missed opportunity!" I would have loved to already be doing stand up so I could be making those kinds of jokes. Uh, I don't remember the first joke I've ever heard that, like the first one that really like stuck with me. I do remember the one that still sticks with me, which is Maggie's, mm-hmm. uh, Maggie's bit about Catholicism and like the, uh, <laughs> the, Oh yeah. The one she brought back recently, Artmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I love so that joke. <laughs> that is such a good joke. It's so well written, like mm-hmm. top to bottom. There's punches. It's keeping you in the show. Mm-hmm. The whole thing about, uh, <laughs> they uh, they were like they cannot they canonized women five hundred years before the smartest man of his time was like I think maybe some women might be smarter than dogs. <laughs> like, and then he got beheaded and became the patron saint of nobody asked you, Steve. <laughs> it's, so it's just like that's such a good joke. I think about that all the time. Oh my god! Um, yes. That and. Uh, I remember, um, you guys remember Richard Jenny? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That special I used to watch all the time when I was younger. I used to watch it constantly. Like I recorded it <laughs> back on TiVo. Uh, <laughs> I recorded it and I would watch it constantly. And so he had just like a ton of those like jokes about like, I'm making jokes about left wing and right wing and I'm not picking a particular side, but like when you're doing that, it's like, you're clearly left wing. Let's not, let's not sit here and pretend. Uh, but it was just, I remember he had a lot of those and I really enjoyed his stuff. I've only been doing it for a short time. So I remember, uh, seeing like Pete Holmes do some really good material. Mm. Um, Matt Thune, is that, Nick Thune? Nick Thune. Yeah. Um, and then Taylor Tomlinson's done some really oh, good stuff. Oh, she's so good. Yeah. It's, it, and she's so young. And and so she she kind of was probably more... She's probably close to your age, right? You're She's younger than I am. Okay. She's yeah. 28, 29. I'm 31. Yeah. So she's she's even got a, a more... Because like the 90s, the late 90s, that was... That's where like a lot of the purity culture stuff was happening mm-hmm. at its peak, right? And that where like the sort of I kiss dating goodbye and all that. I think she <laughs> talks about that Maybe. In, in her second special. Uh, but yeah, the, that whole thing, I was, I was going through that, man. Like that was when I was dating and, and maybe wanting to marry the first girl that I was dating when I was young and... You know, potentially like the first time I was dating somebody where it was like feasible that I might actually marry this person. That's when all that stuff was really uh, 
really popular. And see, I wonder if things like that ever fucked me up. Because, like, I've I've got a, you know, admitted problem with commitment. Uh, like, I have a tough time with that kind of thing. Because, like, when I start to hang out with somebody, my brain immediately goes to marriage. And, like, immediately goes to, like, could I see myself doing this? And when they start to annoy me a little bit, I'm like, I couldn't fucking put up this right <laughs> I, I got to go ahead and call this. Let's, let's make this an ending. And so I wonder how much of that stuff... Is because like I remember one of my was like second girlfriend, uh, girl I liked, you know, nice. Mm-hmm. I had a good time hanging out with her and everything. And it was like we've been dating for like a month, and she was she'd already lost her virginity, and she was like, "Hey, tomorrow stay home from school. I'm gonna come over. I'm gonna take your virginity." And Sweet. I was like, "Hey, I don't think we're gonna get married, so let's break up right now." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was just, and a part of it was just like I wasn't ready to do that. I don't think I don't mm-hmm. think I was ready to have sex. Yeah. I was like sixteen, uh, yeah. which I know for a lot of teenage boys, like yeah, let's fucking. Mm-hmm. But I was just like, I don't know, I don't know why. This, I'm very nervous about this idea. Uh, but yeah, that was one of those ones where I don't know how much of it was just like religion mm-hmm. and that you know stringent idea of like gotta have a person for the rest of my life and like if i have sex with them that probably should be your person because you should go throw your dirty dick around everywhere i think that you're right i also think that people i'm I'm sensing a lot of similarities between us here and so i'm thinking that it's probably hits people differently Mm -hmm. you know like i think that dude i I took all that stuff so seriously and realized after a while, it's like part of the reason you were taking this so seriously is because you have some significant obsessive compulsive tendencies. (laughs) And it's not because necessarily you really believe in this stuff because I, if you, if you kind of just like take all those teachings at face value, it's the idea that like lusting after somebody is just as bad as the most defiling, awful sexual act you could ever commit. It's all the same in terms of sin. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I would be so, well, I've already jerked off and I've already fooled around with girls. So I'll just keep doing that stuff because I have no willpower. I've already done that. The only thing that's stopping me from going further is the obsessive part of my brain that feels like I'm holding on to my virginity. So I didn't have intercourse until I got married on my on my honeymoon night at 28 years old. I finally had an intercourse for the first time. Jesus. Yeah, it was insane. It was and like three seconds. No, it actually kind of... Um, I think we were both so tired and nervous and we were in a hotel in New Orleans and we oh, were never going to go back yeah, to yeah. you. And you had enough uncomfortableness that, yeah, yeah. that it actually kind of took a little while. Um, and we'd fooled around, you know, uh, I guess I'm sitting here outing her on the pod. I don't know how much <laughs> she, she really wants <laughs> Yeah, we started with 69. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and what, then, you know. And then we moved point, on to 84. Yeah, she was in the pile driver position at one point. <laughs> I have a list around here somewhere. Yeah. No. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, it was weird. I took that stuff very seriously and did. I had to come to terms with the fact that at some point that it was not really like religious, serious religious conviction that was causing me to make decisions about what I would or wouldn't do. Yeah, I think it was some apprehension and some needing to get comfortable with it. And also a little OCD hanging on to the virginity because the, you know, the, I think I cared more about the people in the church and what they had to say or or what they thought just be trying to be a part of a community. Mm -hmm. I think I cared more about that than I did truly believing that like, you know, that was being watched by the man in the sky. Well, yeah. I mean, cause like the man in the sky, can't tell you you're being dirty little fucker, but 
you know, Sharon and Roby can. <laughs> they can't <laughs> wait. <laughs> They're just waiting. They're waiting for you to fuck up so they can judge you about it. They're biting their lip, just waiting. Uh, yeah. Um, I, and I, it is interesting and fun to see that come out and people stand up. Cause I've seen some people just do the most hilarious takedowns of the stuff that we've all, you know, kind of like went through going through puberty. And it's so weird to think now that, you know, we evolved as animals to, to want to, to become viable, to start procreating when we're like in our early teens mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. religion, especially with, uh, just people are pushing marriage off more and more now culturally than they ever have. Uh, and so that average age that a male or a female gets married is, is getting later and later, but we're still holding on to all these ideas that you shouldn't, that you should do nothing sexual. And I, I think I remember telling a therapist one time um, that I think the reason that some people struggle if they're evangelicals and they finally get married and their sex life starts to struggle is because their entire lives up until that moment at the honeymoon, they've been told that sex is bad. Premarital sex is bad. And so every sexual experience they ever had was married with this religious guilt, mm-hmm. right? And some shame and stuff like that. Yeah. And so they be just like Pavlov's dog, they're <clears throat> associating anything sexual with shame. The minute you get married and you take that shame component away from it, and it's supposed to be all good and pure, you don't know how to experience sex without there being something dirty or mm-hmm. naughty in what you're doing. Yeah. And so I don't think people think about that enough. And I remember sitting across from a Christian counselor and being like, seeing the wheels turning and being like, he never thought of it that way. And he told me that. And I was like, I don't think, I don't think I can come back. (laughs) You're supposed to be knowing, you're supposed to be telling me. It it really does kind of, yeah, it, it shames a beautiful thing because the idea of a person like not like wanting to, um, share their sexuality with like one special person. Like there really isn't anything wrong with that, mm-hmm. but it it wasn't like, it wasn't like you, y'all had so much just decided for yourself that this is, this is a thing that belongs to me. And I only want to share it with one person. It was like, I'm going to fucking burn in hell. Right. You know, and I'm going to be a horrible person mm-hmm. if I don't, keep this for one you know what i mean right which i think is what you're saying too so it ends up being a shameful thing instead of like oh this was just a beautiful choice we made together Mm -hmm. you know yeah and then you're just getting slapped in your face on your saturday it's getting called a dirty little bitch because you're like this is the only way i can bust my nut yeah (laughs) (laughs) i mean look you're propping up the sex worker industry and i love that but also we need to to make a little effort here Yeah, no, when it comes to that kind of stuff, I always looked at it from the perspective of like, especially after I got done with church, uh, which was pretty early on. I remember, I remember we had like, we had a, just a little talk about, you know, heaven and I was like, that doesn't seem worth it. Uh, (laughs) It just seemed like a fucking bummer, honestly, when we Mm -hmm. talked about it, I was like, that fucking sounds boring as hell. Mm-hmm. And like my, cause my whole thing with religion was always, I had a fear of death, mm-hmm. uh, but my fear of death stemmed from a fear of my consciousness being trapped in my dead body for all of eternity. Yeah. That was what my fear was. And not like, I just ceased to be because mm-hmm. like now that I've kind of embraced that, like it's something I heard on Pete Holmes podcast. Uh, I heard Dana Carvey say, uh, where were you during the Renaissance? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's a very like, oh Yeah. I wasn't. 
And yeah, Louis C.K. kind of said something like that too. Yeah, I wasn't, yeah. and when I die, I won't be. Uh, it's just I, you know, I will be done with everything. Mm-hmm. Will I not get to watch Marvel movies anymore? No, that'll be a bummer. But also, it won't be because I won't experience anything. Yeah. I'll be dead. Right. I am so done with existing. Mm-hmm. Um. So I don't know. When it comes to that kind of stuff, I really I that's what kind of pushed me out of the church, and then um, I met a girl who, at church. And she was like, want to fucking go in the parking lot and yeah. make some shit happen? And I was like, goddamn right I do. Yeah, <laughs> I am loving this idea. The heaven and hell thing to me has always been such a waste of time to think about, I've always thought. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, even when I was like still going to church and Catholic and stuff, and I was always like, that's a, such a dumb thing to focus on. Mm-hmm. And people would be like, no, like, and a lot of people are like, well, it's kind of the whole point. It's like, well, if heaven and hell is real, and for you, that's the whole point, you're probably not going to heaven, because that means you've never, ever done a good thing out of the goodness of your heart. Every decision you've ever made has been, like, reward or punishment. Yeah. Well, yeah, but that's the natural dichotomy. Yeah, that's how people, but, but what I'm saying is, if the only, if, like, you've always done the right thing only because if you would get punished if you didn't. You're not a good person because everything you've ever done has always been about yourself. When you do when you do a good thing because it's the right thing to do, and like in life, oftentimes the right thing to do is the thing that's going to have the most negative consequence. Mm-hmm. But you do it because it's the right thing to do. Right. That's integrity. It's integrity isn't doing something because of you know, reward or punishment. That's yeah. not integrity. I mean, that's just following arbitrary rules. Someone makes up. Sure. You know? I, I get what you're saying, but when it comes to that kind of stuff, I'm not going to hold it against the person because they're still doing the right thing. Like, well, of course, even if they're, yeah. you know, it's like, I didn't murder this guy cause God said so. And I'm like, well, you still didn't murder that guy. Yeah. So <laughs> end result is still the same. And try to remember that God supposedly told people to murder people in the past too. Yeah. See, that's the problem that I have with it is that there were, there's times that the thing that you're told will get you into heaven is a bad thing, uh-huh. you know? So if you're always going by that, that you have to follow these rules someone made up or you go to heaven or hell, sometimes those rules aren't there. It's not the right thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the it's everyone's going about like my salvation is going to depend on what this person wrote in this book. Yeah. You know, I mean, evangelicals would be real quick to point out to you that it's uh, it's all about the blood of Jesus. You know what I mean? So like all the stuff that you're talking about, as true as it is, and as much as I agree with it, their big thing that they would fall back on is that, you know, bad motives and making mistakes and doing all these things for the wrong reasons and all that stuff is all from a moral standpoint, very valid. But ultimately, as long as you believe this thing, this one critical component that uh, the whole, you know, Jesus. Is yeah, right. God, he died yeah. For and there's sins. no one that's not. Um, there's there's no one with too much sin to get into heaven. Yeah. All yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I just had that pounded into me for so long. I mean, I didn't walk away from the church. Uh, I think what did it for me, I was 32. Uh, we were trying to get pregnant. Uh, we've been married for five years. We were trying to get pregnant for the first time. Um, we were having some trouble. Uh, and then I remember. Um, learning that like stress and problems and stuff like that can affect your ability to conceive. And, um, 
my the the pastor of the mega church that I had been at for like 17 years at that point um got busted in an affair with like he he had like yeah he was married to this beautiful woman but he but he was having an affair with like a young staffer who was really hot and um she they found out about it internally uh like staff members intercepted text messages they weren't supposed to intercept and, and they tried to deal with it internally uh, and and so the guy went on sabbatical and then they came back and they announced what had really happened and and had like a big thing at the church that day and had like all the people coming from out of town that are like on the church's board and all this stuff. And they made this big dog and pony show. And I was so put off by the way that they chose to handle that, that I just left that church and didn't want to be involved in any church. And then I went through this like four or five year experience of of slowly deconstructing my faith until I finally realized like, oh, you know what? I'm not sure if I really ever believed any of this stuff the way that you're supposed to yeah. ever in the first place. And so I walked away from it. Um, it's been a very freeing experience. Definitely. Uh, you know, since then. Um, but I, but I still remember just, the, I, I think I said all that because I just wanted to say, I know where they're, I know all the arguments and counter arguments that, that they're going to make. And it's like, it's just so hard. I have, I have to go no contact with, with those people because like, I can't, they have an answer for everything. They have, they have something to say back to any intelligent thing that I could come up with. And even some things I just read somebody else said, uh, and they have people that study that stuff. I don't think, don't they call that apologetics? I guess. Yeah. But the whole thing is though, when it comes to religion, you shouldn't have answers to everything. That's the whole point of religion. Yeah. Is that you don't, um, like I've always said, like you can say, you cannot, it's, it's, I can understand someone not believing in God, mm-hmm. but like if someone would make a definitive argument, like they'll say, I know for a fact there is no God. Mm-hmm. And there might not be a God, but there's no way you could possibly right. know that. So, right. okay, well, now if you know that, you better never say, I don't know to any other question I ever <laughs> ask you, because it's such a huge leap of faith to make. Right. But the whole thing about, you know, you believe it in religion is supposed to allow you like, Hey, things are way bigger mm-hmm. than me. I don't have the answer. I don't have an answer to everything. Right. You know, you, mm-hmm. it's okay because inf- knowledge is infinite, you know? Right. And see, I think it, it, in that same, like we're in the same lane when it comes to that, just uh, different directions. Cause mine is like, I don't know. Yeah, I have fun. I have no clue. Uh, like when it comes to like, what's coming after, I don't know. I'll never yeah. be able to know. No yeah. one will ever be able to tell me. Yeah, I agree. So, That's kind of what I'm saying too. Like, yeah. I don't know. There's God. There's no God. I have no idea. I think mm-hmm. there is, but I don't know. There could be heaven. There might not be. Like when I look at it, I think of it like if there is any kind of like religion situation or like any kind of being or plan or whatever, it's just like, it's best for me to not look into it. Uh, just for my own sanity, because like one, there's no way of knowing. There's no concrete answer, and I'm a very yes or no person. Like mm-hmm. I'm black and white when it comes to things like that. Like there is, there isn't, uh, or I'm gonna settle on I don't know, and I don't really care to find out. Because uh, mm-hmm. like when it came to that kind of stuff, especially when we were in church, when it came to answers people didn't have questions for, I was always a little madder. Like I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? You know? <laughs> like you're supposed to be the authority figure. Why don't you have the answer to my question? And they didn't have it. And I was like, Oh, cause there isn't one. Mm-hmm. And so whenever people try to give me one, I'm like, Oh, so you're full of shit. 
Right. That's my, like, that's my immediate instinct when people do that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I have very low tolerance for bullshit. Uh, so whenever I see that kind of thing happening, I'm like, okay, go fuck yourself. Like, yeah. 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 When you see him grasping and, and trying to, to fill in the blanks with, with conjecture and stuff, it's like, okay, come on. What, what are we doing here? Let's not waste each other's time. Yeah. Yeah. I am. I'm very comfortable with agnosticism that that's where I landed and um i'm good with it um you know you're wearing a, a legend of zelda t-shirt I, uh, I loved the original nintendo uh game in the 80s mm-hmm. um you have a youtube channel where you talk about gaming i right? do tell I was, us about that uh yeah whenever the pandemic was happening uh my roommate started making youtube videos and uh, i'm very much a this is the thing that I feel good about myself for sometimes, but also it is a, I feel kind of cunty about it occasionally. <laughs> like I will support anybody doing anything. Cause like I want everybody to be happy if they can, if they're not hurting anybody, well, I don't care at all what you're doing. I just want you to be a happy person. And so like sometimes when I see one of my friends doing something, I'm like, Oh man, that's so cool. And when I see him doing something, I always kind of wanted to do, I was like, that fucking guy's doing it. <laughs> <laughs> just really turns into like, Oh, this fucking idiot can pull this off. I can right. do that. Uh, <laughs> no, he's great. He's, he's the best. He's, I still live with him. So don't listen to this, Alex. <laughs> but yeah, uh, no, I'd always kind of wanted to do something like that. And so I, uh, yeah, just got, bought a green screen and some lights and, uh, he had the camera already. So we just made that shit happen. And I love it. I just, it's a good way to write something down, explore an idea. Mm -hmm. And I've just loved gaming like my whole life. I've been a big gamer since I was born. Like the first, first games I can really remember playing were Super Mario World, uh, we had a Scooby-Doo game that was terrible. It was a really <laughs> bad game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you did do a, they had a little mini game where there'd be like falling sandwich pieces and you just kind of line up the sandwich. And I, could <laughs> uh, <laughs> I could, I could, I could play that nonstop. Uh, <laughs> I love the simple games. You know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I've just loved gaming since I was younger. Uh, I have never been, how do I put this? an extremely social person. Mm-hmm. Like I have that energy in me sometimes, but when I'm done, I'm done. Yeah. And like, I want to go to silence and I want to go inside myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was why I loved gaming so much. Cause when I got home and it was done, when I turned on the game, it was like, all right, bye guys. Like yeah. bye family, mm-hmm. whatever y'all are yelling about out here, whatever y'all are screaming at each other over, whatever's going on, I'm hopping in here and we're done with this right now for me. You can go on to do whatever you want. I will just hop in this video game. Mm-hmm. Video game technology has just, I mean, just watching it go from Atari and like arcade, those massive arcade consoles mm-hmm. uh, to, to what it is now. I, I got my daughter had her 10th birthday uh, about two weeks ago and uh, we just have one. So sometimes we go a little too far with the gifts, you know, but we got her a switch. Hell yeah. And uh, I, I I'm just blown away, like the, all the stuff that they do with their friends, you know, online and and being just the way that gaming has become a thing that you can do with anyone mm-hmm. uh, from any culture on any part of the globe uh, and, and just get come together over the same thing. And the, the technology is so amazing. It's just evolved so much 
Um, what was the earliest? What, what was your first thing that you had? Super uh, Nintendo. Super Nintendo. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember? I remember when my friend first got one. There was a game. I think it was like track and field or something. Was there a track and field game that came with the console? Not on sh- ours. We didn't have a track and field. Yeah. Shelby doesn't seem like a track and field kind of. Hey, I'm like not, I'm all his games. <laughs> I'm not either. I threw shot put in middle school. <laughs> yeah. All well, the ten feet. Like, no, <laughs> Slipped back into his own house as a kid. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I see. That's the yeah. thing. Like, oh, I, you play a video game. Yeah, like I'll play I love football sports games. A video game. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I used to like when I used to work at EA, uh, doing the testing in Baton Rouge, mm-hmm. and so like I would play Madden. 60 hours yeah, a week. Madden like, was fun as fuck, too. Yeah, I love Madden. I'll play Madden. I'll play NBA 2K, like, all day. It, yeah, they had a baseball, uh, I guess it was, like, MLB or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have the show now, but they used that's to That's what have, it was, the show? Yeah. And uh, that's, I guess this was, like, 2015 or something. I used to play this when I was single on, like, PlayStation 3, yeah. I guess. But, dude, that shit was fun as fuck. And I hate baseball. Yeah, no, like, I really don't like... that's. See, sports games have always been my avenue into sports. Because, uh, like, when I was, I don't know, uh, 11, let's say, mm-hmm. uh, it was when Shaq and Kobe were still a thing. So I remember every, uh, like, every year around the playoffs, me and my dad would watch a lot of basketball because my dad was really into Shaq and Kobe. And so I'd watch and just getting to watch, like, the series between them the spurs and them the kings and they were just these iconic incredibly competitive series with some of the best basketball you'll ever see and i was like oh man basketball is kind of cool and so then i got the game and then i would just play that shit non-stop yeah basketball games are fun too yeah Yeah. especially because like when you play the games you get introduced into like the uh, roster construction aspect of it all so like saying, okay, you know, I need a point guard. I need somebody who can shoot threes because I've got Yao Ming down here and people are collapsing in on him. So I need mm-hmm. somebody to space the floor, you know, mm-hmm. and it just kind of cements those ideas. Yeah, you do kind of start to learn. You start to understand a game a lot more than like watching it on TV. Like I always was like a football fan. Yeah. And I'd watch football for years, but then I started playing Madden offshore with, with the other guys mm-hmm. offshore because there was nothing to do and it was so much fun. But I remember, like, I started to, like, it was more enjoyable to go back and watch football after because I understood so much, like, how yeah. much more complex this game is and the strategy of the game of football, you know? Well, that was, uh, so a friend, like, a family friend, uh, we were playing Madden one day, and I, it was early on when I was playing the game, and he was uh, playing... <laughs> I was like, you know how you have like wheel routes and like long developing running back routes that go up and down the sidelines. And he was doing deep passes and all that kind of shit. Uh, That was like the, those were the plays I was calling that took a long time to develop. And so he was just blitzing the shit out of me, just Mm -hmm. nonstop blitzing. And he was getting to me every time. And he was like, you're playing this like it's a video game and I'm playing it like it's football. Uh And I was like, that is a very good point. Yeah, when I first started playing it, I remember when they had the, all those those plays and you had to pick, that overwhelmed the shit out of me when I would see that. Yeah. And, and I was, I was like, just I don't like, know which ones go I'm the doing? furthest? I got to get the furthest down the field as soon as I can. Yeah, and I'd be playing against some nerd that has never watched football or gone outside and they're just destroying <laughs> me because they understand football way better than I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That stuff, uh, I don't know. When it came to games... I've always looked at it as like my ability to better relate to people 
Cause like, I love media. I love stories. I love, uh, that's my art in terms of like what stuff I like. Uh, like I love, you know, I just finished watching the bear, mm-hmm. uh, the second season of the bear today. And that's the kind of stuff that I, I always would want to make or like that. I would always want to be involved in. I love performing. I love seeing those kinds of people like so truly portray an emotion and an experience. Mm-hmm. Cause like I've worked in kitchens and the bear is an unfortunately accurate show. Sometimes like there is an unfortunate reality to what you see on those things where you're like, yeah, I've met that guy. Or I've been yelling at like that. Or I've been like I've had those exact. Yeah, every, everyone I know that's that's worked in kitchens for a period of time. That that's their favorite fucking show right now. Like yeah. they all love it. They said it's so like it's so real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard nothing but good things about it. But yeah, as far as gaming goes, and like the YouTube channel, it just felt like a good way to express my thoughts on games and connect with other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially like during the pandemic when I was feeling so isolated. Cause yeah. like, you know, I was at home all the time. I didn't really, I could, you know, do a zoom call, but eventually I get tired of looking at a fucking screen. And then I mm-hmm. decided to do video editing with green screens, which takes so much time that I was like, I'm looking at screens more than I ever have in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so much. Yeah. I, I, this is such a 40 something year old person thing to say, but it is interesting to see the way that, the internet has created opportunities for people to connect very specifically over their niche thing Mm -hmm. and, and feel more connected uh, online. I can understand that there's a whole isolation aspect to it as well. I think video games is probably one of the better ways for people to connect though. Cause they're like when people are playing online and talking to each other in the headsets, Mm -hmm. even though, I mean, they're usually, you know, cursing and saying homophobic stuff or whatever, but, uh, they they are playing a game and talking with each other. It's not like social media where everyone's they've got like this buffer from the other person and they're just saying shitty sh- horrible shit to each other just to be mean, you know? Yeah. See, I I get what you're saying. I've always kind of found it to be a little the opposite. That's why I like personally, I prefer to play games that are solo experiences. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't play online, dude. I'm too bad. I don't even care about being <laughs> bad. I don't, yeah. I don't mind losing. Like I've always. Uh, I'm pretty good at games, but also like I don't mind losing to other people because it just makes me want to play more and like play better. But like, I don't like the person that it can draw out of me occasionally. Or definitely drew mm-hmm. that person out of me, especially in high school. Like the person who would say that yeah. <laughs> really fucked up stuff when we were playing like Halo Three or Call of Duty. Modern yeah. Warfare. And I don't know personally because I've never played video games like that. But that's a thing that like gamer people tell me that like, do you hear? Especially if oh, you're playing yeah. with strangers, you hear people say the most horrible shit. Yeah, because because they're, they're getting into the game. Right. It's just that it gets people feel okay with pulling out the worst part of themselves mm-hmm. whenever you're playing those things, and it just it's yes, you said there's still that same detachment as like social media. Yeah, it still yeah. definitely exists because you feel that anonymity, you feel that freedom. Especially yeah, like, no one's gonna beat your ass either. Yeah, like nobody's sitting right next to you. That's why, like, I love games where you have to, like, if you're playing co-op or something, you're playing two-player. 
uh, I love it when you're playing right next to another person because like one, mm. that's creating community and that's just sharing yeah. experience. Playing online is not the same to me. Yeah, I, and that's how I played because that's the only way you really could play when I was a kid. Yeah. We used to play like 64 mm-hmm. fucking uh, double set golden eye. Me and my buddies, dude, that was the funnest shit ever, dude. Yeah. And like for me, it was we used to play Smash Bros. Uh, on the GameCube, Smash Bros. Melee or Smash Bros. Brawl on the Wii. When I was at church, that was like the big thing because we had a few TVs and so we had uh, the game systems and stuff. That was really the draw. I would go on yeah. Wednesdays like an hour early mm-hmm. to go play video games for an hour with my friends before we sat through some, you know. 25-year-old yeah. college student just being like, so the Lord is your friend. And <laughs> I was like, I don't know if he is or not, but I'm about to bust Mario's ass as soon as we get back in that room. So let's get, let's get this done with. A few years ago, I had got uh, where I had got back into playing. I was offshore and I got back into playing video games. So then I had bought like a PlayStation for at home because mm-hmm. I was single and I would be offshore most of the time and I'd come home for like a week. Mm-hmm. But then like my kids would come, but then they'd go to school during the day, so I would kind of play play the game. And then I had got, I was like, well, I've got this great idea. I got a Nintendo 64 and got 007. I was like, I'll get all my buddies together. I got uh, all four controllers, because that's all you could get. But I got, like, the ex- the extension. That way you wouldn't have to be so close. You know, we could be on couches and shit. Like, this would be so fun. All my friends are going to want to come play this game in my house. But then I'd get back and it never happened because, you know, yeah, they were like, well, dude, I got a fucking custody hearing today. Or shit like that. Like, no, man, I got to go to Bed Bath & Beyond with my wife. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't because, you know, I was I was single. They were all yeah. like, no, dude, it's it's. That's times the, of change. You have to you have to change with it. That's one You're of the biggest bummers to me. Yeah. Is like you can't do that shit anymore. Mm-hmm. Like that was one of my favorite things as a kid was like sleepovers. That, mm-hmm. Especially because like I had friends who were like <laughs> I had some friends who were definitely cooler than I was. <laughs> uh, but like you know it's kind of the same thing. Like I said earlier, like I am who I am. And people tend to, I don't know, for some reason, respect that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like, you know, they'd come over and we'd be playing the game or I'd be playing the game. And they'd be like, I'm going to go smoke out behind the shed with your brother. And I was like, fucking deuces, buddy. All right, you go do your thing. <laughs> but whenever I had a few friends who were over and like, yeah, no, let's play Mario Kart against each other all night. I was like, this is my yeah. shit. Yeah. I could do this all day, all night. Let's go. I think that's what looks so fun. Like you were saying, like you you grow up and you can't do the, like the sleepover no more. Ugh. When I see like the videos for like that Burt Kreischer fully loaded tour, to me, that's what it looks like. It's like, this shit does look so fun. Cause it's, you get to go back. They're like on the bus. It's like a big sleepover. Yeah. It's like all your friends having a sleepover. They do, they watch movies, they play video games together. They do all the shit that you do when you're like a, a teenager, you know? Yeah. That's one of those things that I think is missing from, like, that's why I think I see why you see so many people get so, like, incredibly depressed in their 30s and their 40s is because it's like, I feel so alone. And I feel like I'm not sharing my life with my friends as much anymore. And we're, like, more passively explaining our lives to one another (laughs) afterwards. And it's like, man, you guys got to, like, we just got to make some time and be like, hey, you know what? This Saturday night. Come over, like mm-hmm. bring your stupid kids if you want. They can sleep in the other room. I don't care. Yeah. But like, we're gonna play some video games. We're gonna be some nerds. We're gonna, you know, have a good time that doesn't involve us immediately going home and just is 
an opportunity to stay up until three in the morning and wait for the weird topics to come out. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, do you still believe in God? Is that still happening <laughs> for you? <Yeah. laughs> well, I will say, I remember being in my 20s, Drew, like you were saying, I remember being in my 20s and like all of my friends, because they were all evangelicals, they all started getting married. And it didn't happen to mm-hmm. me until my late 20s. And so I remember them starting to all sort of slowly fall off and be like, yeah, you can come over for a little while and we'll we'll even do like a land party and we'll all mm-hmm. play Halo together, but we're gonna have to knock it off at like eleven. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You know I, I got I got married later in life too. Like I had kids, but like like my first kid, I, w- I wasn't in a relationship with her mother. My second kid, me and her mother were like always in and out, breaking up, getting back together. So I spent a lot of time where at a certain point as like I'm like everyone's uncle. It felt like mm-hmm. like everyone would get married and stuff, but I, but I'd still hang out with my friends, and then they had kids, and I'd play with their, and it was like I was Uncle Drew to everybody. Yeah, and at a certain point before I got married, I was like, I'm just gonna be this fucking uncle forever. I had kind of accepted it, you know. I was in sort of a uh, a bubble raising kids, well, raising my kid for for ten years, and just not really trying to have much of a social life for a while, and then for me. Comedy was really kind of what did that for me. Comedy reintroduced having like friends with something that you really care about in common. Cause you know, like I walked away from the church when I was like 32 years old, that had been my community for decades. Mm -hmm. And so not when you, when you're in your thirties and you're already married with a kid and then you just suddenly lose your community. um, It's not as easy to replace when you're in that stage of your life. And so I just went a long time without having anything and having uh, comedy and then starting a podcast was really sort of what filled that void to me for uh, to a great extent. But I could still see it would be awesome to either just like, hey, let's just have a party or, or a get together. Let's have a get together every so often to just stay up late and ha- hang out and have fun and see mm-hmm. what happens, like what you were describing. Or the whole like going on tour with some comics. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, I can see now why people are so selective about who they bring on tour with them. It's not just about anything having to do with you as a comedian, but it's very much like we're going to be like deployed. Yeah. yeah or both. Yeah. It would be both of those things. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. If, you, yeah, if you're going to have to spend all this time with this person, mm-hmm. they might be really funny on stage, but if you can't stand them off stage, it's going to. Yeah. That's the part of comedy. I've always, I feel like I've struggled with the most is like, you gotta be a fun hang. And it's like, look, I can be a fun hang. If you want to go back to my place and have a drink, Right. But if you just want to keep sitting here at this bar and I have to keep listening to live music, I'm going to get the fuck out of here. Like, I'm I'm going to shut down eventually because, like, this is overstimulating. I don't want to be around this bullshit. Like, Mm -hmm. you want to go back to my place and get your ass kicked in Mario Kart or something? Like, (laughs) yeah. I will introduce you to a version of myself you have not met yet. Uh, But, like, yeah. When it comes to that other stuff, I'm just like, hey, let's sit here and shoot the shit. Just, you know. sipping on these beers it's like i gotta drive home i can't get as fucked up as i want to get yeah i'm with you 100 i had to learn to i had to come out of my shell and and kind of pick up some skills because my introverted nature uh when when five or six comics are hanging out all on a high after having had great sets and but everybody's still everybody's sharp and warmed up and so at that point everybody's competing to see who can get the next great joke off and uh, as fun as that can be as an introverted person, I would much rather like what we're doing right mm-hmm. now seems much more my speed. Well, see, that's the thing. So, like, I'm sure I don't know if you guys have been to Tyler's. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes after shows, we would go over there and we just, you know, we all smoke and just put on some video game or some mm-hmm. whatever on the TV or just a little music or whatever. 
and then just shoot the shit and like talk about comedy or talk about whatever and exist in a space that was like comfortable and not a bar or like yeah sitting on a comfy couch and one of my favorite things is like Talk a little shit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I love, like, well, not to be a catty bitch or anything. I love mm-hmm. talking shit. I love, mm-hmm. It's the funnest thing to me. Like, yeah. hearing people's mm-hmm. actual thoughts and other people's sets are like, oh, this guy's doing this fucking joke again. You know? Is that what's happening? <laughs> yeah. This is a joke that hasn't worked for four years and he's still trying it <laughs> without rewriting it at all. Okay, sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we got, we have a little, uh, a little group chat between just a few of us and every now and then it'll feel like that's all it is. Mm-hmm. But then it'll go back to just talking, like joking around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But sometimes it'll be like, you see this motherfucker, what he's doing right now. Mm-hmm. Well, we went to Tyler's one time and, uh, in like December and it's kind of like a hangout and stuff. And he had a, this, he had a screensaver on his computer of like these Santas, but they were like, they were like real buff Santas and they were like driving big trucks or something or they had machine guns. I forgot what it was, but it was like this real funny picture. So then we, I was like, I kind of started breaking down all these things I saw in the picture and we were laughing about it. And then Tyler was like, all right, I got another one for you. Tyler had like, I don't know how many different screen screensavers of Santa Claus is doing not Santa Claus things. Mm-hmm. That I don't know how long we went through this, but we would. <laughs> it was the funnest thing. We just kept all right. Next screensaver, and then we go through everything. Or it was a back. No, I shouldn't say screen. Like yeah, the background or whatever, the desktop picture yeah. or whatever. And we just, and that was the funnest thing, man. Just sitting there, just talking, just pointing out things in the pic because there were these real busy pictures with a lot going on, mm-hmm. and picking out different things. Like, what's the deal with this shit? You know, You're so specific. Yeah, yeah. I feel like being at somebody's house is different than being out. Mm, for yeah, sure. it's more comfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want being out in public doesn't do anything for me. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm a homebody. Um, Same. I want to like I'm, if I'm out, it's because I'm doing a show, uh, or I want to go to the movies, which is like I love going to the movies. Uh, or I'm eating. Other mm-hmm. than that, I want to be at my house because like. Mm-hmm. People who are like, hey, let's go browse a flea market. It's like, what the fuck for? What do I need somebody else's garbage for? Yeah, What's going on here? I'm trying yeah, to get I wouldn't on. even be friends with someone like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I wanted to ask you about this because uh, it perfectly aligns with everything we're talking about right now. Uh, did I hear it right that you did or still work at Elise's? I do, yeah. Okay. Love that place. You must get that. All the time, like that's, sometimes, sometimes people are like it's shit. It's oh terrible. <laughs> that it's like I mean, I only go there for the pizza, and I only knew about it because it turns out the the woman that I the, when I got married, her whole family were like hardcore Elise. So anytime that there's a special occasion, that's I'm going order, to work there tonight. <laughs> okay, okay, cool. So so they'll order like ten or fifteen pizzas and show up at the hospital when somebody had a baby or you know whatever it is to celebrate. They'll come, somebody will make a special trip out here, get all those pies and go back to like Baton Rouge or whatever with Damn. pizza. And like usually around Christmas, like every time we go to Lafayette to buy our Christmas tree, that day we'll pick up a couple pies and, and go home or sometimes we'll eat it there. Love that place. And the thing is, people talk about the wait staff there, how like, I don't know, it just kind of seems like the people that work there have been working there for a very long time. They have, yeah. And so... They're all good at their jobs and they're all easy to work with. And I don't know, it seems like a very special uh, group 
Um, did you have to like? Did, is that the first place that you waited tables, or did you? I've waited tables before. Okay. Uh, Mellow Mushroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was for like a week or two when they yeah. first opened. Mm-hmm. I remember the day I quit because Guardians of the Galaxy was playing, uh-huh. and it like we were in the theater parking lot, and I was like. I was at work and I was like, I'm quitting like tomorrow. So <laughs> uh, I just gave away my tables. Like cause we had just opened. So everyone was getting like two table sections. And so I talked to two of the other servers. I was like, here, you can have this table. You can have this table. And I went to the boss and I was like, yo man, I'm out. I'm going to go ahead. And he started like, you're a piece of shit. You're fucking leaving us. And I was like, that's cool. Can I get my tips? Uh, <laughs> it's just like, I got, I got to go buy nacho so I can go watch this movie. buddy. <laughs> Uh, and I worked at Buffalo Wild Wings for a while. Um, mm-hmm. But, you yeah, know, I just walked in one day and was like, hey, uh, you guys need a server? And they did because one of the other ones had just gone to jail. So <laughs> <laughs> so what is it like? Because I, working at, I, I, I worked at a famous restaurant. Not famous, I worked at a locally famous restaurant, Baton Rouge, for like a couple weeks in the kitchen when I was a teenager and got a taste for what that was like and was so intimidated I never wanted to work in food service ever again. And you mentioned the uh, that show. The, uh, is it Bear or the bear. the bear? Okay. What is it about that show? And what is it about working in a kitchen or at a restaurant? Um, there's something about that lifestyle um, that seems to draw people in and they stay in it. And I'm just curious, like, what is it in your opinion? So, like... My dad's a chef, mm-hmm. uh, and so I've been working in the food service industry in some form or fashion pretty much my whole life. Like, okay. we used to do um, catering for Big Brothers Big Sisters when I was mm-hmm. a kid, and, you know, I was, like, seven years old with a tray in my hand. Just Wow. Uh, and there is a little bit of, like, I don't know if it's people pleaser so much in me, as much as, like, I like to be a bit of a caretaker for people. Mm-hmm. Like, I like to make people feel cared for. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like working in a restaurant is an easy way to get that feeling because sure. like, it's just, you know, you're feeding them, you're mm-hmm. making sure whatever they need, you get up, you get it and you take care of them so they can sit down and have a nice time. Um, and as far as working at Elise's, yeah, I mean like, so I've been there for almost 10 years now. Yeah. And so, uh, and even then, I'm still, like, uh, I'm not, like, a very junior member, but, like, a, most of the senior members have been there, like, 40-plus. Right. You know, they've been there for a long time. That's what, you know, these people come into the restaurant. They're, like, another extension of their family because they know their kids' names. You know, they're, oh, what's, how's this going? Blah, blah, blah. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I've never been that kind of server. Like, right. I'm more of a, I'm going to give you a good quick efficient service and you don't need to remember my name because i'm not going to remember yours <laughs> uh, gonna, i might remember your face and be like oh this guy gets a miller light a lot and bring you one but like other than that that's not that's the extent of my hospitality in that sense yeah but yeah i mean initially it may have felt a little intimidating but like i've in those situations i've always felt kind of comfortable receding into myself Mm-hmm. and uh just waiting on like okay i'm like every I, I guess I, the way i think of it is like every time i get a new job i'm repotting a plant and i'm gonna let myself grow into the version of myself that flows well in this environment um and like 
the root structure is still the same pretty right. much. Like it's still me and I'm still mostly myself, but like there's going to be a different, slightly different angle I'm going to take on like how I am or like how I present myself mm-hmm. just because like we're getting along, we're at work and I'm not about to like sit here and make work uncomfortable for anybody. Right. Um, and then as, you know, as I grow to become more comfortable and really come out of my show, you know, the tree blooms, the fruit's fallen and I'm just being me again and just doing whatever. Uh, and you know, one of my friends who I, I have another job, I work two jobs. Uh, one, the guy who got me my, the job I'm working at now, he worked at Elysee's. Uh, we knew each other from there and I just met a few friends from there. And so like, I think it's that there's like a shared camaraderie in the service industry of like, you know, if you've taken a 20 top and experienced getting no tip mm. after busting your ass for two mm-hmm. hours for these many people who are demanding every instance <clears throat> of your attention, then there's something just that's a community about that that's universal. Yeah. Uh, it's like bombing as a comic, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like if you've bombed in front of people, you know what it feels like to bomb no matter how big the room is. Like five people sure is different but like if bombing in front of five people is different than bombing in front of 200 right but you definitely get the feeling of like oh yeah no i felt that cold sweat in my back like mm-hmm. i i felt my joke not land yeah and it's just like whenever things go wrong those are people have all felt to go wrong in that exact same way yeah and it's just this shared language and a shared mm-hmm. experience and like you know that you don't send the you know the hostess back to the cooks because the cooks are gonna be weird and creepy and <laughs> like you don't want to send that 16 year old back there a 45 year old's gonna be like hey baby how you doing and it's like get, get him away get him away <laughs> let's get that let's stop that from happening <laughs> now um anybody that i know who's ever done it for any length of time like my 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 wife's sister uh she's done a lot of fine dining uh she she always ends up finding herself in in these really nice places and she's just been doing that for a long time she has a master's degree and she went back to bartending and waiting tables because it's just it's just a skill set that i guess is is so practical but i keep hearing from anyone and everyone i know that works tables that the waits that's in the service industry that it's a lot of People staying up late and doing lots of coke and everyone's sleeping with one another. And that's the lifestyle. And and it seems like more than the work, it seems like it's got to be all of the uh, accoutrement that that really sort of um, solidify. Because I I understand that like waiting tables is a very practical skill. Like Joshua Jordan, he's moving and he's just going to go and work at the same restaurant chain in Houston while he gets settled. Mm -hmm. uh, And then, you know, he'll still see what's going to happen from there. So I understand that it's practical and it transfers. Uh, but do you, why is it that people get in and stay in? You think? I think just cause of what you said, it's like, again, it's that sense of community and Mm -hmm. like the, it's built in friends. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, you, you're with somebody all day, you run to the tables, you ask for help and it really breaks down a little bit of the, you know, how like some, like that pride that people have sometimes of like, I can't ask for help. I can't tell people how I'm feeling. Because, like, you're around these people all day and they're watching you go through shit constantly. Mm-hmm. And so you're doing that. And then also you're doing bumps in the bathroom. You know, it's hard <laughs> It's hard to be like, no, nothing's wrong when you fucking, <laughs> you, you, you've done a line off the fucking baby changing station. Right. So you're in the shit and you're bonding through this 
kind of like what soldiers would do. I would, I would think, I mean, you're going through this sort of potentially hellish experience and you're all going through it together and you have to rely on one another at times. So yeah, that actually, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's just a lot of that. And like, you know, going out after the night and getting some more drinks or yeah. a lot of people do drugs together. Like I'm not a drug person. Like mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. I love some weed. I love some mushrooms, but like, yeah. you know, after that, nah, I'm all right. Yeah, Let's, yeah. you know, fucking yeah. cool it. But you know, right. uh, some of the stuff is extremely addictive. Yeah, this is just like when it comes to that kind of stuff. It's like, all right, we don't need to go that far, buddy. Right. Uh, but yeah, it just builds an innate sense of community mm-hmm. by working there, and I think doing that and it just really makes you feel useful. Mm-hmm. Some people need to feel useful. Yeah. And you get that immediate gratification every day when you work in the service industry because like you are walking up and you're, you know, putting a glass down in front of somebody. They needed that drink. They needed you to sit there and feed them because you can see the stress in their eyes and you can watch it melt away when they take their first bite. Like I felt that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I I keep I've taken this 16 personalities uh, test a million times, one particular one. And no matter what kind of mood I'm in, I always get the same result uh, and it hasn't changed over time. And it is um, the way they use a a word to describe it. Uh, They they call it the defender. Uh, But basically it most people who have a lot of the people that have this personality profile are women. Um, but it is a very like, oh, you would be very well suited in a caring profession or something where you get a gratification from putting other people's needs ahead of your own. And you get a deep sense of gratification from meeting people's uh, essential needs, mm-hmm. you know, whether it be as a nurse or like you mentioned, as a, you know, being in food service. Uh, and, and that just really resonates with me personally. I don't know, Drew, you, you worked in the in service industry for a, a little while. Yeah. Briefly. Did, did you get that sense? Did you get, did yeah, you get it any? was fun. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, and a lot of what Shelby said, mm-hmm. you were like friends with everyone. We'd party. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And you, and you have to kind of have to work as a team, like the whole, you know, kitchen and wait staff and all and, and bus boys. It's like this organism sort of, and all these things have to work together, you know, for like, for this table, these customers to have a good experience when they walk in to leave, everyone has to kind of be doing their jobs and working together for that to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I've worked in restaurants where there was, like, a contentious relationship between the kitchen and the servers. Oh, and yeah, that's every terrible. time that shit pops off, it makes my blood boil. Because yeah. I'm just like, you are missing the fucking point, buddy. Right. Get out if you can't do this shit. Like, if you want to be mm-hmm. mad every time. Because don't get me wrong. Like, I've worked... I've worked at Buffalo Wild Wings until, you know, five in the morning cleaning the kitchen after we were done cooking because it is terrible. Like we're in that just fucking line with nothing but 10 fryers and a grill that's a thousand degrees and we're all sweating our asses off and it's not fun. I'm not going to sit here and pretend, but I'm not about to be mean to the servers because like it's not fun. I'm at work. It's not always going to be fun. Yeah. And they are just doing their job when they bring me these tickets. They sent me a ticket with 20 hamburgers on it and I'm on the grill. Sure, I'm a little pissed off, but I'm not going to be like, Caitlin, you bitch. I can't believe yeah. you did this to me. Right. Because it's not her fucking fault. Like, <laughs> I just have to get these burgers out. Yeah, and the, so then ser- it's the, just server, like- the server takes 
uh, like takes the bullet for everyone too. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, and see, that's the thing. That's one of the things I love about waiting tables is like whenever they fuck up, you know, I don't love that I have to be the one to, you know, take it on the chin, but I also get to be the one to blame somebody they can't talk to. <laughs> like, right. I can be like, oh God, he dropped the plate when he was, you know, pulling it out of the oven. And they don't know. They have no idea that he just forgot to put it in entirely. They just think he's a little clumsy. That's yeah. better than being a forgetful fuckwit. <laughs> and then when they when the meal is exactly what they wanted and were hoping for, they're not like, here's an extra five or go bring that to the kitchen. Yeah. Right? Like you get the benefit from yeah. that as yeah. well. That's why whenever I wait at tables. I get the benefit, I get the bullet. It's you know, that's right. the, that's the game you're playing. But I would I would tip out people like bus boys and dishwashers and kitchen staff and stuff whenever mm-hmm. we'd be when they were really help when they were really helpful mm-hmm. because i was making more money because mm-hmm. of the you know what i mean even though they're doing their job mm-hmm. but it's still a thing about like i mean i wouldn't tip them out a lot right but you you know oh yeah it's, it's, nice- it's, it's a it's a symbol of appreciation you know like hey look i'm making some money here yeah. i'm gonna break you off a little bit or whatever. There are definitely nights when I've had to like say, tell a busboy, you got to do a few more things tonight. Like it is what it is. We're going to need you to bust your ass a little harder tonight. And at the end of the night, you know, tell all the servers, hey, everybody throw Josh another $5. Like, mm-hmm. you know, because even if it's just five bucks from like eight people, that's $40. That's yes. something for just moving a little faster tonight. He's mm-hmm. still working the same four hours. He's just making more money. But like, mm-hmm. it just, takes what it takes. And sometimes when people don't appreciate that other people had to work harder for them tonight, it's just like you're being an asshole. Right. Right. There is so much. Uh, Drew turned me on to this show. Uh, it's Netflix, right? The chimp empire. Oh yeah. Yeah. And there's so much like the whole idea of being in a group, in a hierarchy, in a troop, literally in a, in a, in an ape troop, uh, or is it chimp, a chimp troop? Um, and just how all so much of the group dynamics of how to not piss people off it completely. Um, what's the word? Uh, not transpires, um, not supersedes. I, I don't remember what the word is, but transcend, it, transcend. Thank you. It, it, there, there are these things about a group dynamic that transcend written or spoken language mm-hmm. that go back so deep in our evolution as a species uh, of how resentment can form and the way that like a, a, a chimp might rip another chimp literally to pieces alive over jealousy over like a piece of fruit or something like an, a slight that can be considered so small. And so I have to imagine that even now today we're, we're all just kind of operating on that same level of like when, like when you tip out mm-hmm. somebody, you didn't have to do that. It's not how much, I mean, I would say $40 on a shift could, could make a big difference in somebody's life, but even if it wasn't enough to make the difference, the fact they know that you're sacrificing something out of your pile to give to them, I would think mm-hmm. would, would help to uh, lubricate those things, lubricate those relationships and, and really keep morale where it needs to be. So you can be an effective team and, and not have the end of every shift to be like, now let me go blow my brains out. Yeah. Definitely. Because mm-hmm. like that just it adds to you coming to work and feeling like you're not alone. Yeah. Because uh, like there are tons of jobs that I've had where every time when I go into work, I just feel like I'm there. I'm by myself and I'm just existing to do this stupid fucking job that I hate. Like mm-hmm. I'm putting together furniture at big lots or mm-hmm. working at Lowe's or whatever <laughs> dumb job I've done. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, you know, all the stuff that I really didn't like to do. And I really mm-hmm. don't want to be around these people that much, but like when you go and you feel like you're part of something, then you really are like, you're part of something and it makes existing and it makes putting up with bullshit so much easier because it feels like it's for something more than just a paycheck. Yeah. It's for people you care about. And it's for people that like, like when I go into work and like I was, I got a message from one of my coworkers cause I, uh, she's like, you know, like 23. She's a younger kid. I've known her since she was like 16. Uh, and she just messaged me. She's like, Shelby, are you coming in tomorrow? And I was like, yeah, I'm coming. And uh, she was like, oh, thank God. Me and Allie were hoping you were going to be here. Mm-hmm. And just like that mm-hmm. statement was enough for me to be like, cause like sometimes I forget, like, I don't, I don't think people think about me when they can't see me. Like, uh, yeah, I don't right. think I've mastered yeah. object permanence That's right. yeah. in people's brains. <laughs> and so just like the thought that like, even when I'm not around, they're just like, Oh God, I can't, I want to see Shelby. Like I want mm-hmm. Shelby to be here cause he's going to make my job easier. Mm-hmm. Or I just want to hang out with him. Mm-hmm. That thought alone is making me want to be at work today because like, mm-hmm. I'm like, I get to see my people. These mm-hmm. are, these are my people. And like, whenever they have a shit table, like the other day I had a, table that made one of my coworkers cry and i was like i got this like i'm give me the table i'm gonna i'm gonna handle this for the rest of the night and just like no i feel protective of these people because mm-hmm. they're mine mm-hmm. and i will get in the way of the problem <laughs> because these are my people yeah it's not like oh you know i'm at the call center i'm not gonna take the shitty call because i don't give a fuck about any of you guys right but like when we're waiting tables when we're dealing with the nonsense when people are yelling and like it gets messy it's like okay no i got it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i remember and this isn't related to but this is kind of along the same lines of you being the kind of people want people want to have around i'll tell you this um these first 14 months of doing comedy have been uh very tough on my psyche in the one sense that there's been a, a sense of like i'm finally doing something i've been wanting to do my whole life and it's hard and i'm doing it so i'm picking up the heaviest rock around me that i can find and i'm carrying it and and there's a there's a deep sense of satisfaction there but you get beat up so much and i remember one time there was some material that i had been working on and i did it at jsp and i finally had like a night where it was like my set just went really well that night and I remember going in and sitting by the bar and I think I was been wanting to get your approval for a while. I don't know, <laughs> you know, and, you know, because I respect you and I like what you do on stage. And then you just very gave me a very quiet attaboy at the bar. And we were sitting next to one another. And I told a lot of people about it. <laughs> <laughs> so I know what you mean about wanting to feel like people uh, want you around and, and also maybe in, in this case, want your approval, but, uh, uh, it, it does. It means a lot when somebody on your team or somebody in your sphere, uh, either does a kindness for you or just gives you a, Hey, good job or, mm-hmm. or, or whatever. That's not the, I love that. It's <laughs> not the first time I've heard that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like Coleman, yeah. uh, you know, he and I have a mutual ex. Yeah. Uh, and Eskimo brothers. Yeah. Uh, and we, I've never been a huge fan of like his comedy just because right. it's very awkward and comfortable. And that's not something I <laughs> like. It's very like, it's almost anti comedy sometimes. Mm-hmm. And like that stuff, I just 
sometimes when like I when I have to watch people belong or like when I'm watching somebody do something very awkward, my shoulders are in my ears. Like I am <laughs> so uncomfortable. Yeah, I am just like I'm my I've never felt more stress in my life. Mm-hmm. And I remember one night I went up. Uh, he went up and he was he had a great set. Like he was mm-hmm. he was crushing it that night. And I went up and I was like, hey man, fucking that was really good shit tonight. You're mm-hmm. really good. And then I got a message from my friend, uh, our mutual <laughs> ex, after that. And she was like, why the fuck did you tell him that? Because I've been hearing nothing but that for the past two days. <laughs> and it was just like, it, it was, it would make, it just makes my heart smile because like, mm-hmm. I love knowing that like, I have, can have that effect on people sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. Not that like I'm a special boy or anything, but just that like saying a kindness can make somebody be like, I did it tonight. I did the thing that I wanted to do. The thing that I've been saying, like, I want to go up there and say I'm a comedian and feel like I mean it. Mm-hmm. And then you say mm-hmm. that thing and it's just like, you goddamn right I am. Like, you goddamn right I'm a funny motherfucker. I went up there and I did my shit. <laughs> Drew, you probably had some of those experiences early on where the first time somebody like validated you in some way that you were kind of hoping for. Uh, does anything come to mind? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, Shelby was one, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, and of course, Tyler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isaiah was one because mm-hmm. I was kind of before I started, I saw Isaiah do some stuff that I liked a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's great. I even told like when I had a, I have another friend that started doing comedy after me. But he kind of lives towards New Orleans, so he does mics over there. And he works a lot, so I don't really know how... I don't know how deep he's getting into comedy. Mm-hmm. But he came to like his a mic with us somewhere. He came meet up with us, and it was like his second mic ever. And he kept going up to other comedians and asking them like what they thought. And I was kind of telling him, I'm like, dude, you're robbing yourself of this other thing. Mm-hmm. That if you don't ask and you just do it, and they'll come out of their way to tell you that's so much that's so much better and you're putting them in a weird position where they might not give you their they might not be honest with you yeah yeah but if someone comes without being asked if someone comes compliment what you did on stage they're not lying because it would be stupid you know what i'm saying yeah. they're coming out of their why would they go out of their way to tell you something that if because if i mean if i see someone like have a horrible horrible set and someone new or whatever, it's like, man, the last thing I want is for them to ask me what I think about it, you know? And see, I don't mind. That- it's not like, especially if I don't know someone that well, and it's nothing against what they're doing or anything. They're, uh, I mean, you just have to learn, you have to learn and figure it out, you know? Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't like being put into the situation to have to, to be critical or tell you something's not good or whatever. I'd rather, and I'm not saying I'll, I'll have a problem with doing it. Me and Michael are friends. If I see him do something and I can be like, Hey, look, if I could see, like, I think this is why this thing's not working mm-hmm. or whatever, you know? Yeah. That's different than someone just come and ask me like, Hey, do you want to come shit on everything? Or especially if they think it's good, you know? Well, like, so there was a guy who did comedy for a little bit. Uh, I don't know if his name was Garrett. Not 
Not muscles. The, yeah. uh, he was at Beer Garden. Were you guys at Beer Garden? Yeah. yeah. Uh, he had a. He had always brought his fiance or his wife with him. Uh, he had a mullet. You know what I'm talking about? Big country motherfucker. It's not ringing a bell. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, he used to go up and he'd do these jokes that almost all of them were just kind of like shit on his wife or his fiance a little mm-hmm. bit or just kind of making him seem like an asshole. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't really going over very well. And he came up and he asked me, he was like, so what's going on? I was like, well, you seem like an asshole. Like, <laughs> that's just what it is, man. I, yeah. Like, I don't mind telling people when their shit is not working because like, if you ask me, you ask me cause you want to know an answer. Mm-hmm. And like, if you want me to blow smoke up your ass, tell me that. But right. like, if you ask me how did this go or was this working, I'll tell you what I thought. And like, usually if you have to ask me and the answer is probably not fucking well, like right. mm-hmm. it's not great. Or like, you know, maybe there's an idea or two there, but like you're pulling away from other stuff or you're not focusing on your writing enough or you're going up there too much with rambling. Like, you know, I talked a few days ago or a week, like two weeks ago or something about, you know, just like, yeah, write the fucking joke and like, yeah, stop making yourself like the, uh, if your joke comes off as you bragging, you just seem like an asshole and nobody wants to laugh. You just seem like this fucking dick who's up there on stage talking about how great they are. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to write a joke about this story, don't make it about how cool you are. Make it about the experience and the emotion mm-hmm. that your audience mm-hmm. could actually connect with. Because yeah. other than that, you're just telling stories about how you're the coolest fucking kid in school. And yeah. everybody's mm-hmm. just like, go back to your summer camp where that flew. Because that is mm-hmm. not working right here. Yeah, I don't feel uncomfortable about giving bad criticism. <laughs> uh, I think a part of it with me too that might be different from you, Shelby, is that like I've been doing it for such a short amount of time, also, that it makes me uncomfortable for people to to ask me stuff like that, you know? Because sometimes it's like I don't feel like I've got the I've got the time and experience put in to be negatively criticizing people, you know? If I don't know them that well, I mean, sure, you know? but it's never it's not a bad thing to have an opinion. It's not a bad thing to have an opinion yeah, and give true. it if it's been asked of you. Especially if you can, you know, if you take the time to say, you know, hey, I haven't been doing this an incredibly long amount of time. But if you're taking the time to ask me, I'll give you what I honestly think. Mm-hmm. And if you want to, you know, if I don't feel incredibly comfortable with what I'm saying, but like this, yeah. I'm going to tell you what I think. But also maybe go ask Maggie, you know, go ask Tyler. Right, yeah, because, yeah, I might be completely wrong. Yeah. You were saying that before you got here, like, I'm pretty sure... In the short while we've been doing this this podcast, I could go listen to like the first episode, and there's things I said on there that I don't agree with anymore. Probably, exactly. you know, because mm-hmm. that's how much how quick things change. Opinions change, thoughts develop, yeah. and we're well, doing comedy. Like I've been doing comedy ten months, and I mean things. My outlook on things in comedy is changing so fast you know i guess there, there's yeah. i'm because i'm so new at it i'm learning a lot of stuff you know so that's kind of what it makes me feel weird for people to ask me certain things it's like really it's like man i know i do a lot of talking but i don't really fucking know anything you know none of us do yeah we're all doing comedy in lafayette louisiana like yeah we can sit here and like don't get me wrong if i have joke premises i want to run by people I have people that I'll ask, you know, if me and Maggie run premises by each other mm-hmm. all the fucking time. Cause like I love her to death and I trust her to be honest with me. And mm-hmm. I, you know, feel like the same is true for her. Right. So we do that constantly. We'll, you know, try to give each other tags or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, us too. But yeah. like, 
when it comes to that other kind of stuff, nobody really knows. Like we have our opinions, we have our thoughts and we have what works for us. Like I can sit here and take advice from like Ken, Mm -hmm. but in reality is what Ken does going to work for me. Fuck Mm -hmm. no. I can't do Ken. I can't do Ken's material. I can't act like Ken on stage because it's just not at all who I am. I can't Mm -hmm. act like Tyler. I can't act like Maggie. It's it's not like math. There's no like hard. Yeah. This it is or it isn't. It's it's not like that. Yeah. No, it's it's to me, it's very akin to cooking. Like every dish is going to have your flavor on it. And like. Just because me and Maggie both made T-bone steaks doesn't mean the sides are the same or the flavor profile mm-hmm. that we went with is the exact same thing because we tried it in two completely different ways. Yeah. And so, like, I wouldn't be too fearful of, like, I'd be, you know, hesitant to be like, you fucking suck and just quit yeah. comedy. Yeah. But, like, if somebody asked you on that stuff, man, I wouldn't be too worried because they value your opinion and your thought. Don't be afraid to give it. Yeah, because the audience is doing that, and they don't really know anything. Every yeah. single time yeah. you're up there, you're being they don't know jack shit. Yeah. They, they don't know jack shit about writing a joke, comedy, yeah. the experience of being on that stage and trying to get people's approval, and the temperature of a room and how it reacts to different jokes on different nights or how any of that kind of shit goes. So, like, you're taking the audience's feedback at face value and... Yeah, it's true, because usually, like, even when it, like if you're doing well... The audience is loving you and they're laughing at everything you say. Most of the people in there don't even know why they're laughing at the thing they're laughing at. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's it sometimes it gets hard hanging out with people now who aren't comedians because if I'll they they don't understand like some of them are they're funny people, they have a good sense of humor, but they really don't understand how or why mm-hmm. and they don't care either. Yeah. You know, but like we fucking care about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, well, it's one of our funnest things to talk about. Me and Michael is yeah. like, why is this funny thing funny? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. what are you about to say? I was going to say, I think a lot of the people that like what you're talking about in a social situation where they're laughing, they or they're getting laughs They're It's whatever comes natural to them. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't understand it. They want to keep doing it, but they don't need to analyze it. And when you do start to analyze it and try to, because we want it repeatable, right? We we want it to just be able to, as consistent as possible, we're constantly be putting in these situations where we kind of need to understand the the mechanism that you know, mm-hmm. Ty, and Tyler talked about this a lot. And I really, I mean, we keep, you know, we'll revive this topic. We all hope he writes that book he was talking mm-hmm. about writing because there are certain repeatable mechanisms that make a lot of different jokes funny because it's like oh, that definitely. same sort of shape and moving parts that that is something that you can put a lot you can dress it up differently but as long as you're using the technique that makes that joke funny like yeah. the misdirect or whatever um you know we, they don't they don't need to know so they don't care to analyze it it's like you do. think about it like like a rude goldberg device you know mm-hmm. those are mm-hmm. uh it's like those complicated contraptions where in the end result like let's say uh, have you seen the Pee Wee Herman movie? Yeah. Pee Wee's Big ago. Adventure when like it opens and like it's got the big contraption, like the egg goes down the little thing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what one of those is. Yeah. Uh, so we're like, you can say we're all building one where a hammer is getting, is nailing a nail into a board. And it's just, what did we put between that? What what did we right, make it would happen? Be different for each We're all us, looking yeah. for the laugh at the end. 
but we don't know exactly because like you think Coleman and I are getting the same laugh in the same way. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. we're going about a completely different way. So like when somebody asks me my opinion, I'm going to give it to them. But like also that is what my opinion is. That is what my thought is. Yeah. yeah. You have to decide whether to take it or not. And it might yeah. end up being the better thing to not exactly. take it. Yeah. Or just, just to know like this is how somebody sees what I'm doing sometimes. Just because that could change like a word or two in your joke. That could just change mm-hmm. one or two words or the slight presentation of the joke. And then you're like, okay, now I found a way to not seem like a prick during this joke. And now I'm just telling a funny story as opposed to bitching about my dumb wife or whatever. You know, mm-hmm, like yeah. this is goddamn 1992. Uh, yeah. yeah. Like we've talked about it to the extent of like, you know, writing. Writing is the most important thing. Just sit down, write, and also stop doing it alone. This does not have to be a solo activity. It is worse when you're doing it by yourself because, like, you don't know things. Mm-hmm. And you don't know when things are not funny. And mm-hmm. you don't know when your joke just comes off this way and then you do it one time on stage without ever doing a rewrite or ever doing an adjustment because you never got a second opinion or anything. Yeah, and then that's and then that's the one, too. It's like, what did you think? And at a certain point, like, why the fuck are you asking me? Because you're not going to listen to anything. Exactly. You're not listening to not just me, anything anyone's telling you. So I think that there are, you know, I've heard people talk about this of like people that are in an intimate partner relationship with someone or their best friend or whatever. And the person comes to them and they have a problem that they want to talk about. And it's very important to identify up front. Do you need me to just listen or do you want diagnostic feedback Mm -hmm. or do you want to be encouraged and picked up off the floor? Yeah. You want to hear what you want to hear sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And so that being lied to thing. And sometimes it's okay. Sometimes just for the sake of the relationship, whatever it is that you're needing right now, which is motivating you to ask me what I thought about your material, about your set that night, I would like to get some kind of hint. You know, like, cause I could take it different ways and I feel like they're all authentic. You know, mm-hmm. like I can just encourage you if you're just feeling really feeling like shit. Or if, if I know you really care about your comedic development more than you do about being picked up off the floor right now, I'm gonna help you let this burn. I'm not going mm-hmm. to encourage you so much that you, that it's just a complete salve that just takes all the pain away from what you're experiencing. Yes. Yeah, so which, which one of these things is going to be more positive to you, mm-hmm. you know? And sometimes, may, like I said, maybe it is the thing. Maybe sometimes somebody might need a little like, hey, good job at that point mm-hmm. to like keep on going. Right. And then sometimes it might need to be like, hey, you know, you're kind of not doing too good or so, you know, or well, you, you need to pick it, it up like depending on the sandwich. thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah just the old mm-hmm. like, hey, look, that was really good. I liked the energy up there, but like this punchline is not working. This is mm-hmm. you're you're losing them when you're rambling for a minute between this and this. When like if you fucking cut that minute out, you've got a bang bang, and there's your fucking punchline right there where it needs yeah. to be, and you didn't just ramble your way through a joke mm-hmm. and ruin it because like you know we're all guilty of it. We mm-hmm. all have done that. We've all just talked too much mm-hmm. during a set and ruined what was a decent punchline with a minute and a half of just rambling, babbling nonsense that didn't have a tag that was strong enough to make any of that worthwhile. You know, we've Mm -hmm. all done that. So like, it's never bad to say like, you had really good energy up there. You were doing really good. Here's this that you can work on. You're really funny. I can't wait to see you again. Like, 
It's not. Yeah, that's true. There's very few people you'll see that there's that's that doesn't have something good in what they're doing. You know what I mean? There's yeah. very few people who are just garbage from begin to inning. Exactly. And then know? if it's like if the person's a fucking asshole, well, then we're not even worried about it because they're a yeah. fucking asshole. We hope they quit. So it's yeah. just like I remember when BG made a lot of progress when he started cutting out a lot of unnecessary, like there would be 30 mm. seconds of unnecessary exactly. you know, detail or, or explanation. And I, he just suddenly made like a big leap forward. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And I haven't been there because he's been doing more. I think he's been doing more Baton Rouge stuff. I think he's been doing stuff with Boomerang and, and maybe a little stuff with Jeff, uh, Jeff Vance and, and Baton Rouge uh, Lunchbox. And so I haven't seen as many of his sets, but I've been hearing reports of him doing considerably better he is mm-hmm. he's yeah, doing a lot better doing, he's, he's, i bet he's been doing well yeah his yeah. jokes have gotten more concise mm-hmm. more to the point uh he's got a couple that are like that's a strong joke that's a legitimately mm-hmm. like those are good little tags in there and those are good things mm-hmm. and not just like and none of it's necessary like sometimes you see people do stuff and you're like come on man that's kind of hacky like that's mm-hmm. this is obvious punchlines this is very like fucking yeah rudimentary mm-hmm. shit mm-hmm get your shit together and yeah that's like my whole first set was like that yeah same yeah. like and yeah. probably some others too but but i do remember that that was the biggest thing is uh my first set was real hacky because it was kind of like i was i don't know anything about how stand-up would look or sound coming from me yeah. so it's like you're just trying to do what you've kind of what you're even doing an impression doing, of stand-up yeah even though you're doing your own jokes yeah, you're doing an impression. You're doing what you think it would look like, or yeah. whatever, or what it, what it should sound like. But you don't know yet. You're everyone's gonna make you're gonna make your own thing that's gonna be different than every than every everyone else's. You know. Yeah. And so your punchlines are looking like punchlines everybody's heard before and everybody's done a thousand mm-hmm. times, yeah. and everybody's made that stupid joke whenever you're just talking with your friends and you're like, "Oh, put it in your butt" or whatever dumb yeah. fucking stupid thought. Right. And so like now, like watching BG, like that joke he's got right now um, about being in Iraq and like the beaches and like the sand and like you know what I'm talking about. That one he's been doing. I recently. think I missed that one because the one time he did it. Um, he went up like right after me uh-huh. and I don't, rem- I don't remember if I had like a good set or maybe it sucked or something, but for whatever reason, when I got off, I was like, I got to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. I got to go. I got to go outside. But he's been doing that joke recently. So I think I like, missed it. Yeah. It's very good. It's a very good joke. He's got the tags. He's got some identity in it. That's himself. And like, he's got that and he's got the. Uh, joke about the kid maybe not being his, but it's yeah. cheaper just to raise it than pay child support on four. Like that's <laughs> yeah. a solid joke. <laughs> Th- like those are those like, hey, this is BG. This is not BG's idea of comedian. This is BG being right. funny. Yeah, it's him being yeah. yeah being himself. I'm so glad that you said that because just me personally, I think I because I, I want to tie what you just said about BG and what we were talking about. Um, with uh people who get up and just kind of uh they're the hero of every story that they tell and they mm-hmm. really kind of come across as an asshole i think i brought a lot of baggage into stand up because i was a musician for a really long time and that was what i wanted to do for a while i think comedy was my first love when i was a kid and then when i was like a teenager and started playing rock bands and getting all this reinforcement that's when i i kind of was like okay this is what i want to do and if you think about it when you look at like athletes Hollywood actors, rock stars, 
their orientation to the people they're performing to is they're performing kind of from above Mm -hmm. and, and we're idolizing them and pedestalizing them and all that stuff. And I feel like as a comedian, your posture and your position is kind of, you're either at eye level or below. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like where you're kind of falling apart for other people's um, you're laying yourself bare uh, for their entertainment. And there's a, there's a, a lowliness to that. And I think that I came into stand up feeling like oh, I'm, I'm going to be a rock star comedian, like almost like a Dane Cook type. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't think I was anything great. I just assumed that if you are a comedian and you're good at it, you're, you know, you're holding court and everybody's kind of looking up at you. And it's like, that's true in a way. But when you're constructing jokes and you're trying to get in touch with who you are and what makes you funny, mm-hmm. uh, if you are the hero in every story and everybody around you is kind of dumb and, and you're just always like, Every punchline is you, or even if it's just one joke that you're telling, sometimes what I figured out was that one of the things I was doing wrong uh, over and over and over again was approaching comedy from the standpoint of, um, I'm supposed to be like the cool guy up here or whatever. Like, like people are supposed to be looking at me with a certain level of admiration, not because me, but because I'm the comic Mm -hmm. uh, who has the microphone right now. And that's when I figured out that I needed to stop doing that, that kind of unlocked that started a process that I think has been kind of finally coming to fruition recently, mm-hmm. which is just trying to be as much mm-hmm. myself. Uh, on stage. Yeah. Com- Comedy is a more intimate thing. Yeah. Where if you end, if you, you end up being the cool guy because, because you're humble and you'll make fun of yourself or whatever, you know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it's a more real thing. Cause it, like in person, no one likes hanging out with the guy who's smarter than, everyone else and knows he's smarter than everyone else and you know what i mean or just point his thumb at me like that (laughs) (laughs) i could point it at myself i kind of have a bit like that too or like everyone's a fucking idiot Mm -hmm. but uh but yeah if you if if you if you're so if someone is a if someone says they're a cool guy it's it's not that cool. Yeah. Like it's cool for musicians and wrestlers and athletes to do it, but mm-hmm. and comedy's kind of like that too. Yeah, you kind of have to let the audience. The, the audience is the one that gets to say you're. They, they gets have to, to compliment you. Cool. Yeah, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I see. I look at comedy as like to me, comedy is always in the dirty and the the flaw mm-hmm. and the fucked up, mm-hmm. and yeah. like that's where the funny is to me. Like mm-hmm. because. It's like I heard this stupid joke on TikTok the other day. It was, uh, uh, what did Cinderella say when she got to the ball? Mm. <laughs> exactly. It's such a stupid, dirty, stupid joke. Like, you're just like, what? Yeah. It's a good, stupid little, like, fucking, hey, there's that. And, like, I don't know. When you come into comedy and, like, you want to come off as, like, perfect or, mm-hmm. like, admirable, or like, yeah, it's not funny. Yeah, no one, no one's like, oh, what a cool guy you are. Mm-hmm. What a what a role model this comedian must be. It's like mm-hmm. the fact a comedian can be a role model. I don't, I'm not taking that away, but I think the thing that makes a comedian a role model in those situations is like because they're funny, because they're a funny person, mm-hmm. and they're honest. And usually, to me, the funniest comedians are the ones who I'm like, I see myself there, mm-hmm. and nobody nobody worth spending time with 
views themselves as the hero of every situation. Right. Mm-hmm. They like the people you always want to spend time with are the people who definitely can see that they were the shithead, like mm-hmm. air that they fucked up. Those are the people you want to be around, not mm-hmm. anybody else. So like, I don't know when it comes to that kind of stuff. I, whenever I start writing a joke and I see that coming through a little on myself, I'm like, no, I gotta, I gotta make myself seem exactly how I was in this situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unless you would, uh, Unless there's a funny angle where you're almost like the joke is that like where you like if if you're saying you're awesome, but the audience knows you're still kind of making fun of yourself where you're not aware. It's got to be very tongue in cheek. Yeah. Like where you're playing it like you're not aware you like you're really a fucking idiot or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, or or a failure or something. Ricky does that a lot. Ricky is is comedy. He's, He's one of my favorites. But um. I was thinking I was in the shower this morning and I was thinking about how some of the things that I enjoy saying on stage the most are the things where I'm literally telling you exactly what happened, exactly what I was thinking. I'm not changing any details of the story. I'm just telling you what happened and you and you're laughing. Those are the moments I think that I enjoy the most. Same. You know, OK, good. Yeah. So that's a is that a universal? Yeah, yeah. I would think so. Yeah. 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 I like I love when it's just like. These are my thoughts. These are the things. I'm like, sure, I'm going to, you know, add a tag or something here. Yeah. And there. yeah. I'm, I'm going to make it a fucking joke. But like, right. or like, I, I'd i say some of the things that I, I think are that I get the big, the biggest response that people think are the funniest things I say. I'll say that they're on, they're not in my, they're, I might not be saying an honest thing, but it's honest in a way as to where it's a thing that no one else says shit like that. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's a it's a unique there like there's a lot of funny people and funny friend I have a lot of funny friends that say funny things but if you would ask any of us like just this random quote and not assign it to anybody who does who who said this and everybody would be like that's a Drew thing to say mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. it's so because it's got that personality in it yeah so it's like it, honesty is more than like saying a factually correct thing or saying exactly what you thought. Like with in comedy, authenticity, it's just like that's that's what you think funny is funny, and the thing that you would say that no one else would be like, I would have never thought mm-hmm. to say that. Like that's the biggest compliment when I said something one time, and Tyler was like, I would have never that I heard something, and then I made a joke about it, and he was like, Dude, I I don't understand. Like my brain would have never fucking went. To that thing. He's like, I can think of a hundred funny things to say about that, but I would have never thought to say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's where it's like, that is true. That is Drew being a comedian. Yeah. It's like, that's where you get the Jesselneck. That's where you get Bill Burr. That's where you mm-hmm. get Mulaney. That's where you get the flavor of all these guys who are out there doing comedy and talking about topics that are largely similar, but it is so distinctly yeah. unique to them because it is them. It is them doing their jokes and expressing a genuine, authentic worldview as opposed to just like, so I went to the DMV today and, you know, (laughs) fucking just nonsense. My wife's a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think there's a difference between saying something that's true and then saying something that's true and it's also revealing something about you that's true. (laughs) You know what I mean? I think that that what you're talking about there is is the second one. it's it's revealing the uniqueness of of kind of like what makes you who you are and it's also true mm. 
So normally how we uh, wrap up the podcast these days is we we have this hypothetical question we like to ask the guest and it helps us sort of determine in this person's mind, what are the things that rival comedy in importance and value? Uh, and so it starts with this hypothetical. Um, I was uh, I was grocery shopping and I was walking into a store and I was thinking about how important it is, how important comedy is to me. And I was wanting to get better and like, what would I give up to get better at comedy? And in that moment, I, I realized that if I if like a if the devil just appeared and I had to make a deal with the devil right now to um, to give up something that mattered to me in order to 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 have everything that I wanted in comedy to come true exactly the way that I want it to happen. Um, what would I give up? And in that moment, I realized I would if I never had sex with another person ever again, I, I would give that up if everything I wanted to get out of comedy would happen precisely the way that I wanted to. Uh, but that's not always if I asked every guest, would you give up sex or comedy? That might not be a very compelling question. So the question is, what's something you can think of that is as just is all, you know, competes with comedy, rivals comedy in importance to you that you would ultimately, if you gun to your head, you would give up this really important thing so that you could have everything happen and, and to just to, to clear it up even if you said my voice I, I would give up my voice well how are you going to give up your voice if you mm -hmm. you know and still be successful at comedy so try to break those two apart and think about it like no matter what happened no matter what it was you were giving up you would still be as successful at comedy as you ever wanted to be um what's something that that rivals comedy for you like that oh man See, I was going to say food, but I don't even know. Because, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big fellow. I do love food. I love good flavors. I love, mm -hmm. you know, I love cooking. So I don't even know if that's true. Maybe I don't want to be as convenient as bad as I thought. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wouldn't give up games. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't do that. That's my that's my free time. Uh Yeah, I guess I could go with food. I guess I could do that. I could, you know, just eat paste to sustain myself mm -hmm. and go up there and have the career I've always... No, no, fuck that. Uh, this just sounds Couldn't terrible. No. <laughs> what about, like, booze or drugs? Oh, I mean, or... booze, yeah. If somebody yeah. was like, hey, Shelby, you never get another drink again, but you're going to be opening it at the fucking Sanger Theater to yeah. a thousand people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd be like, yeah, okay, sure, yeah, no problem. So, so that's not even hard one then. Okay, like, don't get me wrong, I love to drink. I, yeah, just so you know, Charles said thumbs. Thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> he did, and we asked him to clarify: opposable thumbs, or he's like, no, just thumbs. <laughs> yeah. Um, man, that is a tough question because, like, on the one hand, it's definitely making me feel like I'm not as into comedy as I thought I was. Because uh, <laughs> I don't know. I love all the other, like the other stuff that I love. I love it so much. So like they're like, I've narrowed down my interests in life to things I want to be doing. Mm -hmm. um, I guess like if somebody told me I could be very successful doing comedy, but I could never create like any of my like YouTube stuff ever again. I think I'd make, I'd make that trade pretty easily. 
because uh, like I love making that stuff and it's very personal to me. It's mm-hmm. very like, especially because like when I make the videos, I try to talk about it from a perspective of me as opposed to a perspective of the game necessarily. And like, because, uh, you know, everybody's making a video about the game or whatever it is. I just want to talk about how I feel about stuff and like what it means to me as opposed to necessarily just like the gameplay viewing the gameplay yeah yeah uh so like that's something maybe a food like potatoes uh i do love potatoes that is you know i had french fries before i came over here and it was delightful yeah (laughs) potatoes are at the core of they're a staple of my diet exactly (laughs) yeah i think that's as far as i'd be willing to go i could give up booze i could give up making videos or i could give up potatoes okay and if somebody was like you got to give up all three uh that would be tough. That would I'll be give t- you potatoes and making videos, but that just means I can't have vodka anymore. So uh, <laughs> I, say, yeah. I knew there was a connection between potatoes and booze. Couldn't couldn't recall. I'm just gonna become a whiskey boy. It's fine. <laughs> All right. So where can we find you on socials? Uh, I'm Shelby Shown everywhere. Uh, okay. It's going to make it very easy for somebody to steal my identity one day. <laughs> if anybody ever decides they just want to be me, it's going to be like, I'm Shelby Shown on TikTok. Yes, I am. I'm Shelby Shown on YouTube, Threads, Instagram, Twitter, everything. So if you're hearing this, then you have access to the thumbnail for this video and it or this podcast, and it will have his correct spelling of his name on it. So if you add that on any of your major social media platform, even TikTok. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. So whatever, whatever the popular one is that you're on right now, he's probably on it at that handle. Yeah. And if you can only pick one, YouTube, follow me on there. That's go right. Watch the, go watch the videos. I think you'll... Even if you're not a huge gaming fan, I think you'll have a good laugh or two and maybe learn a little bit more about gaming. That's what I like making those videos for. But you're also going to learn more about Shelby because he is obviously pouring his personal experience of playing the game into every review. That's true. I can't stop talking about myself. (laughs) (laughs) Make a fine comedian one day. (laughs) All right. Do you have any uh, dates to plug? Uh, yeah, I'm going to be in Slidell uh, on the 27th mm-hmm. at uh, Old Town mm-hmm. uh, with Josh Jordan and Siamese and uh, Will Merrill and Josh Watts. It's going to be a really fun Fuck show. Yeah. God damn. Yeah. That's, <laughs> That's a lineup, brother. Yeah. Uh, and then I got, uh, I'm going to do the You Look Like on mm-hmm. the September 4th, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to be doing Stone Drunk Sober in September at uh, the Doubletree. So. Yeah, that's all I got at the moment. And if you want to have a more intimate experience uh, of coming and seeing jokes in progress, you can come check us out at the local uh, Lafayette Mike's, right? Every Tuesday night at Armosphere. You mm-hmm. might bump into Shelby there. Uh, you might bump into him at the Thursday night open mic that's currently being housed at uh, Legends downtown. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and yeah, go out and support your, your local Lafayette comedians. Uh, I am... This has been a particularly fun episode for me personally. I know we laughed, but we also Mm -hmm. talked about a bunch of serious shit that I personally enjoyed uh, very much. I was looking forward to that uh, for this particular episode. Um, I hope you guys have enjoyed uh, this episode with Shelby Shown. You guys keep plugging away at it, and we'll see you next week. Bye.